Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to the Silvertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride, right into the wonderful, incredible world of sobriety. And today, I want to welcome the one and the only, the greatest show in IAS, Lilo. What's happening, Lilo? Hey, Drafter Man, what's up? <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. And you're an ocean away. And I can just feel the energy already. That's This is going to be good. So you're going to tell everybody where you're from? So I live in Ireland. Um, I live in the north and uh, I have lived here all my life. And I'm 47 and it's a beautiful day outside for once. You're a rock star. And I want to tell you, it wasn't cheap getting you here. And, <laughs> and we, you know, it's really hard for rock stars setting up the green room, but we were able to get two uh, portraits of you on each wall. We were able to separate all the black jelly beans out of the candy dish. And we were able to put upon your request, two life size um, cutouts of you in the hallway. So we were able to meet your request, my friend. <laughs> That was, um, yeah, there, I, I might have to charge double now, but sure, we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it anyway. Yeah, it's cool being called a rock star, but we'll see how, how much of a rocker I am after this. No, you are a rock star and how you do <laughs> and how you give and the music you play. And uh, I think a lot of people like, don't get you, but we'll talk about that. You know, they're like, who yeah. the hell could this guy be so friggin' crazy and amazing? Go ahead, man. Let's do this. Okay, right. So I'm going to go right back to the very, very beginning. My grandmother um, in the 1940s of all years had my mother. And back then, you were, it was frowned upon. You know, she, the guy that she was with, it didn't last very long. So she had a child and it was, you know, if anybody had um, seen her, you know, with no, with no partner, um, it was frowned upon. So she met another man who ended up becoming my grandfather. She took his name and changed my mum's so that it was like a proper family. So she was doing everything to protect my mum. So then my mother um, met my brother's father. And um, so my brother was born and he is nine years older than me. Um, so this is where I'm kind of talking because I want to get the, my family is so dysfunctional, it's unreal. So my granny had a different name. My mother ended up getting married first before she met my, my brother's dad. I must put that in. And that only lasted six weeks. So her name changed twice. So then she, whenever she met my brother's father and had Colin, my brother, um, uh, but he left, the, fa the, the dad left. And that was my mom left in limbo again. She's never had any luck with men whatsoever. <clears throat> and then she met my father. And in between that, my mom was told that she would never have children again. Um, it was like whatever had happened, you know, the, the ovaries or the I don't know what the name, technical name is for it, but she was just told basically it was like 99.5% that was never going to happen again. So she sort of thought like, well, this is the only child I'm going to have was my elder brother. And 
that was it. And then a few years later, she met my father and my brother didn't get on with him at all because my father was an alcoholic, a domestic, violent, evil piece of shit. And um, he was not a nice man. And so my brother uh, ended up having to move into my grandmother's house, uh, live with his grandparents because my grandmother despised my father. Um, she kind of knew what was going on, but with all domestic violence, you know, it's kept indoors. And um, so this went on for years. My brother had, you know, my mom had just basically kind of disowned my brother, you know, for a man who was just, with the domestic violence, you know, they, you just become too scared. You become scared for your own life. Um, you try and protect your other family members by not saying anything. And it's very, very important for people to come forward. Um, but um, he sexually abused my mom. Um, that was so difficult for her. Um, and then on top of that, she had to give up her son to her own mom to look after. So a few years later, then the miracle baby comes along and she's like, I can't be pregnant. How the hell, I can't, you know, how does this work? Um, I was like, it was nine years after she had my brother that I came along. And to be honest with you, Drifter, I have no idea how that sort of came about because it sort of it pains me to actually think about a, a domestic alcohol abusive man and God knows what he was doing, you know, like sexually with her. Um, did I come along? I don't know. It's, it's a terrible thing to think of, but um, there's lots of things in my family that has been kept from me and I'm 47, but that's sort of heart-wrenching to know that you could be this baby that everybody sort of adores now publicly in a, you know, the, the adoration I get now. Back then, my mum probably kind of, in a way, probably despised me because she was being, you know, I was hurting her, you know, to have a man like that in her life. Um, so I was two, two years old. Well, between two and three, I guess. And the only recollection I have of that man, Drifter, is when he tried to kill her. He, um, I was at the bottom of the stairs as a toddler and he pushed my mum and kicked her down the flight of stairs and she landed at my feet. And that is the only memory I have of him. I can remember it like I'm telling you now, like it's plain as day. And I don't know what happened after, um, and that's traumatic. I mean, you're two years yeah. old and you remember yeah. that. Yeah, that's the only thing. Like, if you say, like, I know a lot of people will maybe think of, I think you call it kindergarten, but I, I call it nursery school. So, like, I can remember certain things of nursery, you know, like slight things and like six, seven, eight, nine. I have no recollection whatsoever. But, um, so my, yeah, um, but uh, something had to change. And, 
my grandmother must have stepped in at some point, you know, and like he's gonna she's gonna end up killing you, and you need to move in. You need to move back in. So my brother was nine, living in his grandparents' house, and then me and my mum moved in. Um, but my grandfather had died, and it really had a devastating effect on my brother. Um, so he's my half brother. He'll always be my big brother. Um, but uh, all of a sudden, he had this two-year-old strolling about the place, thinking he owned the place. <laughs> and uh, and then he had his mum back in his life. He had spent all them years, you know, going to school and having people mock him because his parents looked older, you know, because it was his grandparents. And I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago about this. This is another reason why I came on here to share this, because, you know, I had a long conversation with, that, with him and that gave me hope to, to tell it now. So, but, so we moved in anyway. And um, before, I, I'm not sure if it, at what stage, but I had to get speech therapist. Um, I couldn't pronounce certain letters or, you know, if I was trying to function a sentence, um, I had to get speech therapy. Um, obviously a traumatic thing that had occurred and as, as a child that young you don't expect to understand even now it's like I don't know what trauma that gave me growing up but I always felt like a lonely child even though I had a bigger brother all of a sudden like when he was nine and I was two my mum and my grandmother used to go out each weekend and have drinks and, you know, left the kids at home. And he was like maybe 10 or 11, 12, maybe looking after a four or five year old. He didn't know what he was doing. And I had no idea. I was just going to bed. And, and but as he got older, like 16, 17, 18, I was on my own. He was out all the time. My mum wouldn't like me saying this, but she, she was, I love my mum and she's, you know, the best thing, you know, in my world today. But she wasn't really a mum, you know. She was just like, she had so much trauma and stuff that went through her life. She just didn't know how to raise children. She just didn't know. She'd let go of one and she'd hanged on to this other one. And whenever my mum drank, the worst part of that for her was, was whenever she was drinking heavily, she I reminded her of this man. You know, I'm the spit and image of my father. So... She was to, she would have got drunk and called me all the names of the day, took out of me, you know, just you're just like him, you're 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 fucking the worst piece of shit, you know, just all this crap. And um that obviously, you know, made me sink deeper into myself. You know, and, I was and that always was in your, like childhood when Yeah, you... yeah. I was from from a young age, that was always happening. That was all the time. She would have um but that was alcohol, you know, she would never, she would never have said them things without that, you know. Um, and um, so, yeah, so I, my, my childhood for me, like growing up with that. So my grandmother had a different name. My mom had a different name, last name. And um, my brother had a different last name because he was, he had a different dad. And then I had a different name and they, and growing up in Northern Ireland, like they were all Catholic, but my father was Protestant and he made my mother make me a Protestant. So you had a Protestant, three Catholics, four different names, 
<laughs> I'm not sure if you can remember a show called Family Fortunes, but can you imagine going on to a show called Family Fortunes and you're like you're supposed to have one name, and right. it's all, all of all of a sudden you're going on and it's a it's the Caldwell Carberry McGahey Donnelly family, yeah, it's, right. it's the fucking misfit show. So yeah, that was always so difficult in primary school and high school to try and explain why everybody had a different name. And I didn't know how to do that. I wasn't told. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, didn't lie about it. I just didn't know. I was like, I don't, why is my brother different? Why, why does my grandmother have it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. And then I got teased because I didn't have a dad. You know, I didn't have a father there. He, he had fucked off. Whenever I was, after that happened, he just, he had disappeared. You know, uh, I think he was chased away. There was a policeman or a call a policeman that was um, a father of one of my school friends. And I think he got involved and he was basically saying, you need to go, you know, you need to get out of here or something bad's going to happen. And I can remember photographs of my mom holding me. I, I look at old photographs and she's got black eyes and the broken nose and no weight. This, she just, she's a, a skeleton of herself, you know, and that must have been really, really difficult for her. And so she would have turned to drink and my granny drank. You know, it was just a thing. There was, there was no such thing. Like weekends, it was all, everybody called at my mum's. And then with the death of my grandfather, I can't remember him at all. You know, so I didn't have any men in my life. I had two strong women, you know, a woman who just came out of domestic violence and sexual abuse from a father. And I had a grandmother who was trying to protect her daughter, but had raised my brother. So I had really no chance in the beginning. I had no stability. I had nobody looking after me. I had people resenting me. I had, you know, I thought I was loved, but I was just a bit of a shame for people, you know, that was... My mum would tell you now, like, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, you know? Right. But it's um, back in them days, it was just, that was too much for. Um, so I would, uh, where we grew up, um, whenever my, my, gra- my grandmother and grandfather had moved into this new house, um, we, had, we had lived, me and my mum and father in the early days had lived just across the road, so... Whenever my mum moved in, my mum and my grandmother didn't get on. You know, they just fought all the time. And when the drink was in, they would have, you know. So my grandmother moved. She says, like, you, you, you stay in this house because you've got your two sons. And I'm going to move across the road. And she moved into, like, a flat. It's like a wee small place to stay. And that's where she stayed the rest of her days. And she wasn't far. She called over every day. Um, but I was always left on my own. And I went out playing, you know. I went out on my bike, uh, skateboard, you know, anything just to get out of the house. I didn't like staying in the house. My mum didn't have much luck with me at all. And I just didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel part of anything. I told my brother like a couple of weeks ago, even though he loves me, I just felt like I was just alone, just really, really on my own. You know, in this family that was dysfunctional, I just didn't have anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. And at school, in primary school, um, I learned a trick. So I was shy, uh, alone, and 
one day I made somebody laugh and all of a sudden I went, okay, I can get attention. And I done that all the time. I became the, the joker in school. I done anything to get a laugh. And, but whenever I went home, it was totally different. The mask was on and, you know, I sank into sort of myself again, you know? <clears throat> so I, primary school for me, I done really well. You know, I, my, you call it grades. Um, I, I done really, really well. And we have a thing called like a transfer test and I passed that and I could have went to like a grammar school, like a really good school. But my mom didn't, being a single parent, she didn't really know. So I just went to a high school, um, which I sort of excelled at for a couple of years. But I I got into the wrong crowd and stuff. <clears throat> but before all that, I just missed out on one thing. Whenever I was out on my own all the time, um, I was only about eight or nine. And... We had put on like Wellington boots, you know, to jump in puddles and that sort of thing. We went down to this field and it was covered like there was this, it was all this wood covered, you know, that these builders had put. And somebody had moved it and it was like a, I don't know how deep this thing was, but I put one foot in and then the other one and I went down. And so I was submerged under the water. And um, all my friends who were seven and eight, nine years of age, they just seen this child, this, their, their friend. They, they, nobody knew what to do. But the weight of the water in my welting boots just pulled me down underneath. And I was just, I, I kept on trying to pull myself up out of this hole, but it was like all mud and grass and just slipping. And I was just, I was just slipping away. And I was going to die. And by the grace of somebody looking up there, uh, the field that we were in, there was a hole in the fence <clears throat> and there was a path that led, you know, past it. And there was a woman who was walking past with her shopping and she dropped them and got in through this hole and saved me, basically. I was I was gone, like, and she she saved my life. And I remember her name. Her name was Annie Johnson and she's not with us anymore. Um, but she saved me. And uh, So let me that, get this straight. You're, <clears throat> you and your friends are walking down the road there's big mm-hmm. mud puddles. Yeah. You guys were jumping and splashing and yeah. you jumped in one and it was so deep that you mm-hmm. went under the water. Yeah. It was like, um, there, there were, whatever the, there was builders. There was like, oh, the field was near a school and they were putting some sort of pipeline for heating or something. In, and they dug this really deep hole and put like a wooden covering over the top, but somebody had moved it out of the way and then it rained for days and days and days and, you know, and then we were like, we were playing all around the place. And then we'd seen this, like, it was like, <laughs> it was like half a lake, you know, <laughs> but you're, you're only, you're only eight or nine. You don't know any better. You're just like, oh, there's a big puddle. Like we're going to jump that. That looks cool. And I was the first one. I was like, okay. And uh, yeah. Um, and then everything's that, wet around it and you just can't get out. I was just, honestly, I couldn't swim anyway. I, I was, I was not like, I, as I say, I didn't have any, I didn't have a father or mother that took me to the swimming pool. And, you know, like most kids learn really, really young. I just didn't learn how to swim. And even if I had, I don't know with the weight of the boots, you know, even thinking about it now, it just makes my skin crawl because I have a fear of war. I have a phobia about war. Um, But that set me back as well because I just feared everything after that uh, incident. You know, it was like I had all the shit with my dad 
and my mum and then I had this speech therapy thing and then I had this moment where I thought everything was going and the weirdest thing was this woman knew where my mum lived and she walked me like the whole way up the path got me into the house and my mum like she had always had visitors and that woman stripped me ball like neck in front of the ball just to check that I was okay and I'm standing there as a kid like eight and nine just I've nearly died and now I'm dying again. I'm dying again. Like, mom, fucking, they've got me wee winky out in front of these fucking out old dolls. Like, fuck's sake. You know, I'm like, Jesus, get, give the kid a break, you know? And uh, so, yeah, just died a death. I was like, fucking hell, this is not, this is not the strip show I wanted to show, that, you know? And um, so that, that was tough. So whenever I want to, that, that was, that was one thing I wanted to highlight. Like, so from speech therapy to that sort of thing, that was, that was so tough on me, man. Um, but then when I got to high school, like my, my, my childhood was really good in some ways, but I didn't feel loved or like protected. I didn't have a, 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 a male figure there to bond with. I missed that. And even though like, that's why, even to this day, I trust women more than I would men. I find it really difficult to, like a, a man coming up to me and sharing is like what you do. And, you know, that gives me confidence to speak. And I didn't do that for a long time. And you keep it inside. And I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks about this thing. And I was like, I was a mess. Like I couldn't talk about this the way I am today. You know, I needed that person to be able to talk to. And I cried my eyes out, like, you know, and this is this is the easier part for me because I've done it before. Now I'm talking to you now and, you know, I'm sure I'll get choked up at some point, but um, it's everybody. So, I didn't realize. Uh, and, so your until, childhood, Lee, I mean, you had to, all, all the dysfunction, but then society in your country during that time you had back then, I mean, the Catholics and Protestants were really divided and there was a lot of um, stigma probably for uh, you not having a dad. So on top of everything else, you had to deal with all that so- social shit too, didn't you? Yeah, we had army. We had army outside of our house we 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 we, the army men would have done patrols and we would have been walking out of the high school into school and saying here let me check out your gun (laughs) that was normal that was normal for a child to walk past an army man in the middle of an estate council house like estate growing up like we weren't we we had no money we just went to school and we just thought these guys were cool we didn't realize they were looking for bombs and fucking god knows what else we were just going to school was normal you know, that, that part doesn't even, that, that, that makes me laugh that, you know, even thinking about that now, you know, the patrols that used to go on and the troubles and stuff like that. And being a Protestant and a Catholic, like me now, I, I, my wife's Catholic, my kids are Catholic and I'm still a Protestant and I break the mold. It's like, I want to do something different. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be brought up by the one thing that my dysfunctional family did do they never judged me for that. You know, we, 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 we grew up, religion was, you know, like it was maybe Sunday school or, you know, you went because other people went, well, it wasn't really drummed into me. You know, my, my mom didn't really have, my mom's the biggest, like she has so much faith now, 
it changed over time. Um, but in the beginning, like we didn't have, it was just RE and school stuff like that. But yeah, it was crazy, crazy growing up. But, um, but as I say, like high school. So then the first time I was about 12, I think it was about 12, 13, my next door neighbor, um, we had our first beer. You know, we, I, this is funny because I had two tins of beer and he had two cans and my cans had the advertising back then that was like women were on the cans. <laughs> so you could go and get, oh, I'll buy a tin of Susan or I'll buy a tin of, you know, you know, like some 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 other woman's name, you know, and there were these hot chicks in the side of the can, and you were drinking this beer, and you thought, oh, "I'm a real, I'm a real man now." Like you know, they, there's women in the side of it, so if I drink this, I'll get a, I'll get a woman like that. And there's that's a twelve year old, like I don't know where that, how the hell that there sort of worked, but I my friend was sick, you know, very soon after drinking the two cans, and I followed suit, and we thought this was great. You know, it's just and for me. It was like, okay, this is something I can, I don't have to worry anymore. I can block this shit out. Just with two cans of this, that's great. And then that was when it started. It was just every single time that we could get, you know, steal something out of the house or something like that. 13, 14, 15, 16, just every single time that we could steal anything, you know, and we weren't getting looked after. So we'd run around the estate where we lived, you know, we began the gangs and like a lot of people who would talk from the UK, it was like cider or wine or like the, the cheapest, cheapest, nastiest stuff that you could get your hands on. That's what we had. You know, I could name lots of stuff and people would probably know what I'm talking about. Like Silver Crown, that was really nasty stuff. And you got it for less than five pounds. Um, so that's probably about, about six, six or seven dollars, like for this ball that really fucked you up as a child. And um, we still went to school, you know, thinking, you know, this was the way to go. Um, so, as I say, like even at weekends, my mum had a, we called it a lockdown cupboard. It was like a, like a, she had a key and the, the things, whenever you opened it up, it turned into like a bar, like a wee mini bar. She had like fog and whiskey and all sorts. And she thought like she had this key and so nobody could get in. But it was the stupidest fucking lock ever. You could put your thumb on it and turn it and open the fucking thing. So my mum thought we could never get in. And we were stealing out of that thing every week. And we had all these plans. If it's whiskey, we'll put tea in it. You know, if it's fog, it will just top up with water. And then my mum was probably wondering why she wasn't getting pissed at the weekends because she was drinking tea and water out of the fucking lockdown cover. You know, it was crazy. Oh, that's um, Yeah. So so not only was I drinking, I was a thief. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but um, then I got into relationships and um, I'd been engaged whenever I was young. Um, I think it was 20, 21. And this woman, she loved me and but she didn't believe in sex before marriage and she didn't want to have children and this was somebody at 18 and I didn't care because all I wanted to do was drink you know we went out and she didn't drink but we I went out whenever I was supposed to I was 18 my brother was 27 by that stage and he thought this was great because his brother was like 18 now he's a man he can go out and drink 
the things that we've done, like we went to a bar with 20 pounds. So that's like $25. And we waited to happy hour and we would have bought like 10 bottles of Miller and 10 shots. And rather than drinking the beers first and then having, we've done it the other way around. So we would have and start knocking back these aftershocks, which are nasty. And then chasing them with beers. And you do the state that we got into, you know, we always laughed off thinking, how the fuck did you go home last night? <laughs> we're like, we didn't get a taxi. We must have fucking walked home. And then like two months later, somebody would have bumped into you and said, oh, fuck, you were walking across the roundabout. You're right out in the middle of the road. I picked you up and took you home. And it was a real funny story. That This guy picked me up. I was walking out in the middle of the road and he, he could have run over me. And this is a guy I knew. And he picked me up and he took me to my mum's. And I couldn't walk. I was like totally out of it. And I was standing at the front door and I was putting my hands in my pockets looking for a key. And he was saying, going, fuck, have you got no keys? And I was like, uh, decipherable. I couldn't even talk. So this guy had a bit of, no, he's a brave and fat guy. So he walks around the, the side of my mum's house and he had to climb over a, over a gate. They near wrecked his balls <laughs> climbing over this, this gate. And he's trying to throw stones like up at my mum's window. But my mum is a really heavy sleeper, so she didn't even hear him. So he had to climb back over the gate. Meanwhile, I've got the keys and I'm opening up the door because I had them all the time. I just couldn't, didn't, I couldn't find the fucking things. And he comes around the corner and he sees me, he goes, you asshole. And, but as soon as I opened the door, I just fell and just went boom, right onto my nose. And uh, I had to go to work the next day with two black eyes and a half busted nose just for a night out, you know. And like, but being Irish, whenever you go into work, that's celebrated. Oh, you must have had a good night. Look at the state of your face. You know, it's like look at the state of your face, and and you're you're in agony, you no. Know, and you're like, I'm not going to do that again. And then it comes to the next weekend, and you're you're out. You know, you're doing the same sort of shit. And so I didn't realize, you know, even back then, I didn't, I didn't realize um, how, how big a problem I had. Um, it was really, really, it didn't take long to get into it heavy. You know, as I say, like, I'm sure a lot of people were drinking like 16, 17, 18, maybe drinking a lot, you know, but for me, it was like, drink as fast as you can, get it into you as quick as possible and forget about everything, consequences, it doesn't matter how the fuck you're getting home, how your mum feels, how your brother's going to be, how your partner is, it doesn't matter. And loads of times, whenever I, whenever I was out with my fiancé at the time, it was like four or five girls, you know, and then there's me. And the amount of times I turned around and said, I'm not going. You know, at the last minute, I just wanted to be in the bar by, my own, by myself. And that's, that's the way it went. And then I realised that we're still friends to this day. And she's married and she doesn't have any kids. And, you know, she still sends my mom like birthday cards and stuff. She doesn't know about this situation I'm in now. She'd probably be really, really proud of me, actually. But um, it's taken a long time. But she was the first person that sort of tried to look after me. You know, it was like she didn't drink, but she's seen this mess. She's seen this guy that just self-destructed and, I didn't really go into my story too much. You know, I didn't tell many people about, you know, maybe I suppose I told her some parts of it, but, and then um, we went together for about three and a half years and it all dissolved. I, we were house hunting and, you know, but I, I knew a year before it wasn't going to work. 
and I, I, it's something inside me that said, I wanted to have kids. You know, I, I was young and I didn't want to have them then, but there was something that just said, no, I need to have children and this isn't going to work out. And so whenever we split up, I started going with this other girl and she was totally different. She drank all the time. And um, so we, we, we drank and it was still, there was no like sexual contact. It was kind of weird, man, you know, to, for this young guy to be, I've went through all this trauma and want to have love. I didn't have that contact with anybody. You know, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. It was like, maybe it was because my mum was being sexually abused or something like that. You know, I'd, ha- I'd had, like, you know, I think I lost my virginity at 16 in school. You know, it was like one girl, you know, but it was, it didn't last very long. It was like, not the sex, the, <laughs> the relationship. I have to put it out there like I'm pretty good. Uh, but she, um, like, I only lasted for a couple of months. And then, like, after that, it was just like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20, maybe 22, like all them years, you know, if not caring, it was just alcohol. I just wanted to drink. So yeah, that, that uh, was your your mistress right there. Was the yeah, alcohol. that was that was just a, just at the bottom of the bottle. And I that there's not many drinks I have not had. I've had them all. You know, I remember we, I went to a club and they were doing ice ice pops, ice lollies. I don't know what you call them. Is it popsicles? You call them? I'm not sure. But they were perno flavor. And we bought them and up on the dance floor eating these fucking ice lolly perno things. Like, and you were sitting going, why are they making them into these? Like an ice cream. It's just a gimmick, you know, anything to, you know, and we were like so stupid, we bought them. And we, I, we, we, I very rarely did I go out without being like sort of half wasted anyway. Like we drank so much before we went out. That was the thing. We went out on a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Have you had any money left? On a Sunday night, it was on. It was just like, you bought the nastiest thing. You got four guys into a taxi and you went and I didn't get any chicks doing that that way because I was just this total disaster of a guy walking in to a dance floor thinking he's fucking John Travolta. But he's really, <laughs> but he's really, he's really uh, a total car crash and nobody wants to look near him. You know, there's nothing sexy about that. You know, there's nothing... That's not a good look. We, uh, as I was saying, um, the amount of times that we went out and drank and the the upbringing that I had, and like there was lots of opportunity, you know, for the wrong people to get in the way. And like I didn't, I wasn't smoking around, like, but there's people had dope and like weed and they had uh, acid trips and they had, you know, uh, coke. Um, all sorts of stuff. And but I, I, I think it was ecstasy. You know, we would have took ecstasy. And, um, but I didn't have to be in a club. You were just sitting in somebody's house and you were drinking so much. And I discovered vodka. Vodka was just my best body. It was just like, okay, I'm on another level. This isn't beer shit. I'm never drinking beer again. I can drink vodka and pineapple juice. That was my thing not fog and coke, it was like fog and pineapple. And I drank and drank and drank that shit and I was taking ecstasy. And But I'd never done it for very long. It was always alcohol. Alcohol was my thing. The drugs was uh, was sort of touched on and I got myself into situations with drugs where I woke up the next day and went, how the fuck did I end up here? You know, 
everybody's done that. You know, you've woke up somewhere and fucking r- r- this, the room spin was drinking. But um, the the main sort of thing with the relationships for me, um, I'm after I had fell out with my fiance and sort of dated a couple other girls. I met this girl and I was at a bar and. I was just so gone. I was like, drink. I don't know. I was, I was, you know, Red Bull. Yeah. 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 So fog and Red Bull was the worst Lilo mixture ever created in man's earth <laughs> because I could drink and stay awake. And it was like, okay. And you could not, I could not sleep. And I was just drinking, drinking, drinking. So we would, that's, that was my thing. And I didn't do a small glass drifter. I was like, give me, I went up to the bar and I said, I'm like a pint glass where you got beer. And I said, can I have four vodkas and a Red Bull? And he would have said, like, he'd have been putting out four glasses. And I said, no, 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 no. Put the four vodkas into the pint glass with ice. And then I'd pour the, the Red Bull on top of that. So I'd have had two or three of them and I was ready to go. And busting my moves in the dance floor, and uh, trying to pack up checks and not being very successful. I always had the gift of the gab, as they say over here. You know, I could always talk, but um, God knows what state I was in most of the time. And me and my brother and two other guys, but I have religiously all the time. And this is whenever I met my son, my eldest son's mum. I went to the same pub all the time and there was this real hot blonde chick that I just couldn't speak to. I was like, no, she was above, she was out of my league. And uh, there was one night I was drinking and I went over to her and started talking to her because uh, I was wiped. And the next week I went up to speak to her. It wasn't even the same girl. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I totally, I was her friend. And and so we, I went back to the same pub and I'm, I had my back to the, like there was a, there was a stairway up to the second level and I was standing with my brother and two, two of my friends and they went, oh shit we were standing there with a beer and they're looking at me and they go, oh, you're in trouble now. And I was like, what? These four girls is walking towards me. And I turned around and the other girl, the girl that I thought I was talking to, she says it was me you were talking to last week. And I was like, oh my God. And I, you know, what do you do? And you're standing there in front of your brother and you're just totally busted. And um, I just went, what do you want to drink? <laughs> you know, I just thought, what can I do? So we started drinking. And so we, for weeks upon weeks, we just met up with the same girls. And uh, eventually, I plucked up the courage. I was going to kiss this girl, and she went to the she went to the ladies, and that her friend was standing, and I was that drunk. I ended up kissing her instead, and the other girl that I've been chasing for all this time came back and, said, and went, "What the fuck? What's going on?" Like you know, and I just, but I like this other girl too, and I didn't, I didn't think, I've never thought normally, I didn't think of people liking me. You know, I didn't, shoot, I didn't have that love. And even though I was engaged, it wasn't going to work. You know, nothing was working for me. It was just alcohol was the only thing. And whenever, uh, so I started dating uh, this woman and that was fantastic. And, you know. You started dating I, which one? Uh, I, st- I, st- I started dating the one. The one that you no, wanted yeah, to kiss yeah. or the, 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 or the, the other one? Oh, okay. The one that the, the one that I wasn't supposed to like go with, um, the, the other girl that was really really hot, like that that never happened. So not that Emma wasn't good looking, she was, but um, I just started dating her, and uh, we got on very well. And uh, I actually felt as you know, I was getting somewhere, you know, and 
our relationship very very quickly became like a loving thing and um you know after a couple of months of dating it was serious and um but her grandmother died and her mother was an alcoholic and her mum spiraled into like I wasn't allowed to visit anymore. That was crazy. You know, I I'll not talk about that too much because it's a whole different ball game. But basically my girlfriend I wasn't allowed in. And I respected that because I just thought something wrong with her mum and her father, you know, and like this is somebody's passed away. So, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal about that. I, I like rules. I don't mind if a man, like her father, it was like half 10 on the Saturday night, right, time's up, you need to go. That's fine. I have no problem. But not being allowed in, my mother then turned around and said, well, she's not allowed in our house. Like really daft, you know, tit for tat shit. So we had to go dating outside, you know, like the freezing cold weather and maybe not having that much money and drinking, you know, in the street. And it was just, it wasn't right. And her mum and dad went away for the weekend and she thought, if we had a baby, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe 25 or whatever, and you think, oh, if we had a baby, that would bring the two, two families together. That's a good idea. And me being me, aye, that sounds, yeah, okay. We'll have fun trying, you know. So then next thing, she tests out and she finds out she's pregnant. And I was like, holy shit, this is really happening. Her dad lost the fucking plot kicked her out of the house and she had nowhere to go. And my brother said to my mum, this is your grandchild that's going to be coming into the world. You can't, you, we have to do something. And if it wasn't for my brother, I don't think my mum would have agreed, but she ended up moving into to, to my house. So I, she's in my room. My brother's in next door. He's listening to all these 80s, Duran Duran shit from, I'm into Metallica and Anthrax and Slayer and all this crap. And I have a pregnant girlfriend living with me and I'm still drinking. I'm still like drinking vodka and Red Bulls and she's not allowed to drink. So I was still going out. Every, I, was, I was a piece of work. Like, you know, I didn't look after her the way I should have. And I can, you know, looking back, you know, that wasn't good, you know. Um, and then things went really sour. We only went, we only stayed together for nine months. And But I went to every scan and I wanted to do my thing. And... But something, something, something bad happened. That her her father was so controlling that he wanted to become the dad of that child. So he he said he got he got Emma to move back, and she so she went back into her father's, and I was just closed off. I was shut off, and a few times I had a called at the door, you know, with after drinking. And the guy was right. He, like he punched my lights out one night. You know, just left me left, right right on my back. You know, because I'd called wanting to talk to his pregnant daughter. I mean, any any father would have done that. I understood that. But I just wanted to try and make things right. But doing it with alcohol wasn't the right thing to do. You know, that was just stupid. So I still would have, I, I was going to work and there was this other girl that I, I was always really very friendly with and she was brilliant. And she was in a relationship that wasn't very good for her. And she was saying, are you still are you going for an hour scan? I went, yeah, you know, I hope everything goes well. So we went for a scan and everything was great. And then, as I said, I was just cut off. And whenever Emma had my son, I didn't actually know what she had till two weeks after. I had rang the hospital 
And her father knew that I'd rang because he, he, the nurse had said, oh, there's a, there's a guy on here. He says that he's the father of the child. He was sitting going, no, nah, we don't want to speak to him. You know, I just shut off. I had done nothing wrong. You know, it was just, uh, it was an incident that happened with, with their family and I was just closed off. So I was lying in the house with my mum one day and her cousin came in and she says, oh, congratulations on your baby boy. And that's how I found out. I was lying on the couch and I just burst out crying. I was like, I can't even fucking crawl down to the house. I don't know what to do. I'm a young guy. and don't know, you know, do I get a solicitor? Do I get, I don't know what to do, you know, and my mum went down and mum was speaking to him and she said, I'll get you, I'll, I'll get, I'll give you photographs, you know, of the child. But um, that's, you know, my dad won't let, let him see him. And so I never done anything about it. And it was the same thing over again. It was just like abandonment. It was my father all over again. You know, here was me, this father who didn't know what he was doing. You know, I wasn't, I've never been violent. I've never raised a hand to a woman in my life and never will. Um, and the things that he done, but looking back, I could have done far more. And it's, I mean, like I can, I, I, I'll fast forward like years later um, after she had my son, like it was only sort of times whenever I was walking through the town she had I'd seen a buggy and this child in it and he was mine, but I couldn't see him. And I just had to walk past. I had so much resentment for her. And it was just like, well, you move on, do whatever you want. And then she had another child, like literally straight after he was like, yeah, it must have been only like a couple of months after she had him that she met somebody else and she had a daughter. So I just thought, well, that ship sailed, you know, there's nothing I can do. And I you know, years went past. I think that had such a big effect on me as well. I was just drinking all the time. And um, I became 1999. Uh, this is like, so I had, from 1973, whenever I was born, I just went through all this shit. And I always had abandonment issues. You know, um, my father left. My mum didn't really want to know. My grandmother sort of looked at me, you know, like this, she was a lovely woman, but she, you know, she had raised my brother and um, drink was everywhere. And it was just, it was my only friend. It was the only thing I had to block out everything was just drinking vodka all the time. And when I got to 1999, and this is whenever I met my wife um, to this day, um, she um, she was my friend at work and she was the one who kept on saying, you know, asking about, you know, these scans and stuff whenever, you know, before my son was born. And the great team, Manchester United, that I support, were in, they'd won the, the what we call the Football League, they'd won the FA Cup, they run this Champions League, they hadn't been in it for God knows how many years. And I was running about this friend of mine, you know, like this one. So we decided to buy alcohol for the match know for the game and we went to a supermarket and we bought 140 bottles of beer and uh, we put them into a shopping trolley for two two people and we got to the taxi and the guys turned around and said what the fucking hell that, guys that's a lot of, uh, how many how, how many uh, is there you know is, is having a party tonight and you know the big match well that's just for us he was as bad as me, you know, and, he, and the guy was like, Jesus Christ. 
So we pulled up outside my mum's and we're lifting crates of beer and two at a time and we're walking into my mum's. Mum goes, the first time I walked in, my mum was like, fucking hell, son. Jeez, you don't need all that. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> and I went back out to the car and I lifted up another two and back in and this went on to the 140 balls. So my mum's going, this is going to be messy. I'm just, I'm not even going to say anything to him. I'm just going to let him, you know, do, do the thing. The match didn't go really well. We were 1-0 down. And we scored in like the last minute and me and my mate were like, fuck, we're still in this. And then drinking beers, drinking beers. And two, like we ran out the front and I was, in, I was dancing about in my mum's garden. We, we hadn't even got back into the score again. And that was left off, just left off. And we were just drinking. And then my mate's brother who lived like literally two minutes away, him and his friends all ran down, jumped over my mum's hedge. We're singing in the garden and drinking beer. My mum was going, look, I don't mind if you have a good night, but just get the fuck out of the house because you can go somewhere else with all that shit. And I left it up the beers and one of them slipped and went through her glass coffee table and wrecked it. And my mum was super chilled. Like she just turned and says, I'll buy another one, but just, you know, if you're going to go to your mate's house, just go. So we carried all the beers up to his and we started drinking we had started drinking about five o'clock in the evening and we drank all night, got up the next day and we had out of the 140 beers, we had something like 20, 20 something left. And we got up the next morning and we started drinking them and we drank the rest of them. And I was dying, like really dying inside. It wasn't like hair of the dog. This was just survival mode. And we, I went down to the off license, you would call it a, the liquor store. And I bought a bottle of vodka, the biggest bottle you could buy. And I started drinking that. And this was day two. And then day three came and I was like, my wife um, came up because she wasn't, she, was, she wasn't even my girlfriend at the time. We were, there was something there, but she came up to see me and she said, she looked at me. She went, you're, you're in a bad way. You, you need to stop. And I was still with my partner at the time but you know, she was about to move out. She says, "You need to go back. You need like this. This woman's pregnant. You need to go back and you know sort this sort of shit out." And I was like, "Right." And I listened to her. But my friend, he went out that night. So this is from the Wednesday to Friday, and he went out on the Friday night. And he rang me and was sitting going, "Here, you need to come out." And I, but I was shaking. The sweats had come on. I was trembling. My chest was pounding. And I thought, "I'm going to die. I'm I'm going to die today because." I've drank so much and um, it's alcohol poisoning here and fuck. And I started drinking like pints and pints of water drifter. I was shitting myself. I thought this is it. I'm, I'm actually going to die. And um, I got a phone call the next day from my friend's mother. And she says, you're not going to believe this. You have to go up. You have to go up to the hospital. And I was like, what? She says, um, my best friend at the time had tried to kill, had tried to commit suicide. He had drank so much. He, he drank so much that he 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 was he, he was he was he basically tried to kill himself. And he wrote me a note. He left me a note, and he said everything about everybody else. But he left addressed it to me and left it to me like I'm sorry. And can you play one song for me? You know, because I'm going to be dead. And I went up and visited him in the hospital. And being Irish, we don't take that shit kindly. So I walked in and punched him. <laughs> I just, he was lying in the bed and I just punched him. I says, don't you ever fucking do that to me again. I says, I'm dying. And you're, you try to kill yourself. Like what the fuck? And so that was, that was crazy. And but after that, that impacted me as well. 
And so I started drinking with me, me and my wife, we started dating after I fell out with Emma and we had it off. And uh, after like a, a couple of years, it was only like a short time that we got engaged and I knew this is the one for me. This is, you know, this is somebody who really cares about me, but my drinking impacted hers. You know, she had an alcoholic mother and she didn't really, she liked drinking, but not to that them extremes. And then all of a sudden she had this guy who was drinking fog all the time. And um, we got married in Florida and we came home, we'd bought a house and I lived not that far away from my mum and one of the guys that used to call around to her house, he lived like two minutes away. He was a full-blown alcoholic and he liked drinking vodka and that was my home for many months. If people were looking for me, I always lied. I was in the bar. I wasn't. I was in his place and me and him just drank vodka and lemonade or pineapple all the time. He was the funniest man I've ever known. Not saying something. He was a funny fucker. Um, but he, he was just consumed by it. And he loved me, you know, like, uh, he loved everything about me. If it was morning, noon and night, if, if I had a day off work, I would have went to his instead of being with my wife. And my wife thought I was out with friends. I was drinking this alcoholic. So my wife caught on to this. She was like, he's not in the fucking bar. Where is he? And, you know, then she found out, she was like, oh, he's in Sammy's. Guy was called Sammy. And um, so she used to knock on the door and she used to ring, but he had to unplug the phone, you know, like as if he wasn't in. And I was like fucking flat out in my back, you know, after drinking, I'd get up and I'd go, I'm going to have to go home here. But alcoholics, drinkers want drinkers. They don't care about anybody else. So it was like, no, I want you to stay. And um, so I was sitting there thinking to myself, fuck, like, uh, you know, I just want to drink all the time. So after months of doing this here, my, my wife finally fucking got into where he lived. And I, there's me, a drunken mess, and him, like, well caught out. And she gave me the ultimatum. And she turned, she says, if you don't walk out of here and follow me now, it's over. We're done. I'm not putting up with that shit anymore. And she says, I don't mind you having a drink with me, but you're not staying with him because it's, it's bad news. And she says, I like the guy, but you're not staying here. And I got up and I just walked out of there and I never went back. I never went back to that guy's place. I, I talked to him and I would have met him in my mum's house, you know, if I visited. But but the, the drinking in my, like my wife will tell you, like I would have bought, before we had kids, I'd have bought like litre bottles of vodka and I would have drank them on my own. You know, that was, you know, I finished work on a Friday. I just bought the biggest bottle of vodka and I would have drank, you know, vodka and Red Bull and it's funny looking back on it now, the things I used to do, but my wife wouldn't be laughing. I would be taking a shower at five in the morning, you know, absolutely blocked, paralytic, not being able to see. She was shitting herself. She was sitting going, you could slip and fucking break your neck. Or she'd have come down the stairs and I'm standing in my boxer shorts with nothing else on, you know, just my fucking underwear, trying to make scrambled egg <laughs> after drinking so much vodka. That seemed, that seemed like a logical thing to do it was just like let, let's crack open some eggs and you know this is my breakfast i need to eat something so i can drink more you understand it's like if i have more scrambled egg i find my stomach i can drink more and i that that's that's what i done um so whenever i got married i got married in 2003 
<clears throat> and uh, I, I actually told this this part before um, on one of the Zoom things that my wedding night, I'd, I'd got ordered a bottle of Dom Perignon champagne and I didn't know you had to put the cap on the top of it to keep it. So whenever we went and got married and came back, that was gone. The hotel, like, maids or whatever had taken it away. And I was like, fuck, that, that cost a fortune. And I rang down and we sent up another bottle and apologised. And, but me being from Ballymena and, and from Northern Ireland, like, we'll do anything, like, we're tight with money. We'll do anything, like, to get something for free. <laughs> and I, I, I looked out the corner and I seen this trolley and down at the bottom of this bottle of Don Perignon with this, but I, that's fucking mine. <laughs> and I ran down the hall and I picked it up and ran back in and I drank that and drank the other one and we drank the other one. And that night didn't turn out well for my wife. She didn't get the firework display that night. You know, I was just flat out gone. The, there was no love that night. And that's, that's, that's a shameful thing. Like whenever you get married, you have to be on it, you know? And uh, no, it wasn't happening. And as I say, like, you I were say, passed like, out. Yeah, I was like, you know, there was no hide the sausage that night. That was, you know, that was playing pull with a rope. You know, there was no chance. There was nothing knocking on that door. That was marshmallow time. So, um, you know, I made up for it. But, you know, that was another night that, you know, alcohol took over. And we had a, sure. we had a, great, we had a great time. This is the thing that, that I always struggled with. There was loads of times, Drifter, where I had great times drinking. You know, it wasn't always a shit show. But I didn't realise... As I was growing up, the impact it had on me until I was ta- I'm talking to you now. I realise now that all the sort of horrors and shit that I've went through, and then whenever I come home, 2004, my grandmother died. But before she was 84, and she was awesome. She was a lovely, lovely woman. But um, she had she had something to tell me. She a couple of years before she died, she I was visiting her all the time. And I had got a really close bond with her, you know, through the years, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd turned into a man, I'd made a lot of mistakes, but I'd got married and settled down. You know, she never got to see any of my children, which is a, a shame, but she uh, she called me to the set. She called me over to where she lived and she sat me down. She says, I have something to tell you and I don't know how I'm going to do it. I was like, Granny, like, you know, you can tell me anything. It's okay. She's sitting going, no, it's something I said to your mother and me and your mum didn't always get on. And it's, you know, it's, it's been playing on my mind and I have to, it was like something she had to get off her chest. So she sat, sat me down and she said, I said a thing to your mum and I basically said that if you and Colin, my eldest brother, were out in the road and the bus was coming, I would have saved him and not you. And I sat back and thought, this is a, like she was maybe about 80 at that time. I was like, why did you have to even fucking say that to me? You know, after all this time, you know, you could have took that to the grave. You didn't have to tell me that. And she was crying and she says, I'm so sorry. And like, you know, I love you so much. And I, I, I can't believe I said that, you know, I can't believe, but I had to tell you it was eating away at me. And, um, that was another person that I loved so much that was that just sort of let me down. You know, it was just like, what the fuck have I done? You know, what have I done in my childhood that I'm growing up here? You know, I've loved everybody else, but no, I don't feel the love back. You know, I'm just a piece of shit in somebody's shoe. You know, and time and time again, I just got knocked back, you know, and the abandonment thing came out again. I was like, 
I forgave her, you know, and uh, I remember saying it to my mom and she was so cross. You know, she was like, I can't believe that, that came out. And I was like, what else have you had? You know, what else have you had from me? And um, whenever my grandmother died in 2004, I had actually moved house. And whenever I moved, the house that we, I now live in now, um, we, we had to wait to get it. So I had to move into my brother-in-law's house for like six weeks, uh, six or seven weeks. And all my stuff was, you know, moved and put into storage. And there's me and my wife, you know, like we were newlyweds moving from in a house and my grandmother's died. And I've moved away from my mom. I don't see my brother. And I'm in a different part of Northern Ireland and um, living in a box room. You know, I was grateful to have somewhere to stay until we got the new house. But them six weeks, I just dove into more alcohol because my grand grandmother had died. And I uh, played sad songs all the time to, you know, I was just like crying constantly, you know, Jack Daniels and Coke, vodka and Red Bull, tequila, you know, any, any spirit, whiskey, you know. I came home from Florida after I got married with a 25-year-old Bushmills whiskey and just drank it straight. You know, I always had, pro I never, talk to you now, I don't even realise how bad I was. You know, it was scary, scary bad, you know, throughout my whole life. But my wife sort of, my wife always looked after me. She made sure that I wasn't drinking day in, day in, you know, every single day. It was like, she sort of said, like, I don't mind this guy having a binge drink, you know, a Friday and Saturday, but then I'm going to have to try and rein him back in here. And her mum was uh, the worst alcoholic I've ever seen, period. Like, she was a big vodka drinker, and I used to drink with her and her, her dad. And that, this is the sad part for me because she... Uh, we watched the person die. We watched a, a, a wife and a mother. Um, she, she wasn't a wife. She wasn't a mother. She wasn't a grandmother. She was a shell, you know, just drinking vodka every single day. And she had fits and, you know, hospital visits and back. And we we tried. We tried as a family to try and help her, but that was too far gone. And to watch that over years and years and years, um, it was really hard. And then... So you watched that lady, you watched her die of alcoholism. Slowly, yeah, just slowly. I, I as, touched as you're pounding, as you're pounding the alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you, you, you look at certain people and you think, you know, if it's Easter or Christmas or, you know, birthdays, you know, you, you join in. And, the, and then there's, there's the alcoholic in the room. There's the person that has a problem. We're okay. You know, we're not them. You know, we drank a lot, but we're not an alcoholic. You know, we're, that they they drank so much, they must be worse than me. So that's the way we treat it. We I didn't didn't look at myself and think, oh, I'm I'm one. You know, if I skipped a couple of days, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I'm not. So on here you bench. are in your young thirties, and you're not even thinking you're an alcoholic with all you drink. No, no, I had no no clue, no idea. Just I was just I was just good at drinking. I was good at getting fucked up. You know, I was good at having it. I was the party guy. I was the person that you wanted to be around. But once the walls were closed in and I was on my own, I had all the depression of the day and, you know, not a very happy guy at all. You know, just mad thoughts and shit. And whenever my wife, um, whenever we had, we, we became pregnant and she uh, had a miscarriage and she was, so far on that she had to have, I think it's called DNC. That's whenever you go in and you have to get everything removed. And 
I remember sitting outside the hospital and looking up at the windows, thinking, where, where, where is she? I can't, I was here yet again. It's another fucking hospital visit where I can't go in. I'm on my own again. I'm sitting on a fucking bench, mate, looking up and saying, I can't be with the person that I love and I can't do anything. And there's a the hospital that she works in is where our baby is. They have a tree and they sprinkle like ashes and stuff there. We've never visited that tree. She sees it when she walks past. But that was very, very tough couple of years. And, and she, she, still, her. she still works there now. Yeah. She works there now, yeah. And um, but the funny thing was, like, she knew that I had a son that I couldn't see, and then she blamed herself for not being able to have a child for me. And I, that you can imagine what it's like, you know, for anybody who's went through that. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening that have done that, you know, had a miscarriage and they blame themselves. I just threw myself into alcohol, big time. And it wasn't a good time. And I just remember saying to her that, if, you know, we need to give ourselves time. And it was a couple of years later. And, but um, we had our, our, you know, our daughter. And, um, but Niall, who's my eldest boy, like he's, I had, I had drank so much alcohol that I, um, I was in the house. I was upstairs. I drank so much and I, I knew there was something wrong with me like big time, I drank so much and I tried to get to the toilet and I collapsed in the bathroom floor in total agony. And uh, I remember screaming, you know, for my wife and she just thought, this is just another episode for him. You know, this is this fucking guy, this is always doing the same shit. But it was really bad and I cried. So she just thought, you know, just let him do whatever he wants. He's still talking to, so he can't be that bad. I crawled. I crawled out of the bathroom and got into the bedroom and I said, babe, honestly, I need an ambulance. And they got an ambulance and they took me to the hospital and something had happened to my kidney or, you know, um, uh, there was like a, I think they call it like big pieces of grit, you know, like it's the like smallest, tiniest wee thing, like, a, you know, you can get gallstones or stuff, stuff like that, you know, it's just something, something that broke off. And it caused me so so much severe pain wherever it was lodged. I just went down like as if somebody had shot me. And I remember them they, they wheeled me out to the ambulance and took me to the hospital. And that very day, that guy was coming in and says, we might have to operate. And um, But, you know, if you can get to the toilet, it might go one of two ways. It can go out the back end or really painfully out the front. And he says, but this is what you've done to yourself. So, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever had that before you know through drinking but that was what was happened to me but so they told I'm, they told you because of your drinking that this yeah happened that was, because you were drinking yeah and i was still i was still in the state you know like i was still like i was still drunk in the hospital you know i had, had drunk so much vodka and stuff and um i got a phone call from my brother and he says you're not going to believe this and i'm in the hospital like half dying and i was going what's wrong and he says um Emma rang and her father called into the shop that he worked in. He says, um, your son wants to see you. And I was like, what? He said, going, Niall wants to see his real dad. And I was like, holy fuck. And it was like a bolt out of the blue. And so he, I, I said, right, okay. And I said, I'm going to speak to my wife whenever she comes up. And she came up in and I says, 
I don't know if I'm going to get operated on. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to just pass normally or am I going to see, like, I've got something else to tell you. And I told her, like, I got a phone call. And I'll never forget the words she said. She turned around and said, if you're the man I think that you are, I don't even have to ask you the question. And that's the way she put it to me. And I went, go and tell the doctor I'm sending myself out. And I got a piece of paper to sign myself out of the hospital. And I left, I got into the car and I drove to my ex's house with my brother the very same day uh, in agony. But basically the doctor said he didn't think he'd have to operate. And I said, I'm out here. And I pulled up outside the house and my brother went over to the house and spoke to her. And two weeks later, I met my son. And I didn't know what to say. I just walked in and said, hi, I'm your dad. This is a wee young, like nine-year-old. And I thought my brother, like he was nine, whenever I turned up in the scene and then all of a sudden here's me. So I walked into the house and I says, hi, I'm your dad. And he, he says, I know. And that was how I'd introduced myself and I sat down beside this young nine-year-old boy. And all of a sudden I was a, a dad, you know, and um, it was like crazy. And I was in this house that I wasn't supposed to be allowed into years and years ago and trying to make up for lost time. And I stay, I, I went there for a couple of months. You know, I didn't have, it was just we met up every two weeks, <clears throat> which was cool. Um, you know, you can't rush into these things. And the relationship blossomed straight away. We used to play a lot of football and, you know, hugged him all the time. And then I, I ended rise with his mum a lot because, you know, that it was, it was terrible that I had to miss out on it all. And, you know, I was trying my best to, to be a dad. And um, whenever I took him out for something to eat for the first time, you know, it was just wee small steps, you know, you went somewhere with him. And um, so the years went past and, you know, like he was a, he was young and whenever me and Joanne fell pregnant again when she had uh, our daughter and um, we didn't know what we were going to have and um, we didn't ask and whenever we went to the hospital and everything was fine for about seven minutes we were you know uh, trying to sort Joanne out and uh, this child and this wee baby and the, the nurse turned around and says oh sorry do you not know what the what you're having and I went no and she said oh congratulations you've got a baby daughter and I melted I was like I've got a, I've got a son and now I've got a daughter I was like right okay I'm on my way here I know what to do and if I was still drinking all the time it was time for celebration it was like I have a daughter and I'm like you know let's fucking let's drink about we always drank 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 and then you know so I had this son and a daughter and then Joan fell pregnant again and <clears throat> I remember my mum was coming down and she told me over the phone, she rang me, she says, I went for a scan. And I says, is everything all right? And she says, uh, um, have you been drinking? And of course, I'd been drinking again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, for fuck's sake. She says, like, so you're going up to get your mum? I said, I can't drive, but I'll you know, get her at some point. She says, well, I'm, I have to tell you over the phone then. And I was like, what? She says, it's double trouble. And I dropped the phone. <laughs> and I, and so I, I, I packed up the phone and I was like, say that again. She says, yeah. You heard it this time. It's double trouble. I was like, how does a five foot two small woman and me, five foot nine, create two? Like what is going on? And she said, I know. She says, the worst bit for me was whenever the woman took around and says, I'm just going to check. There's no more. And she threw up. You know, she thought, I can't handle that. Two's bad enough. Please don't tell me there's three. 
So next thing I had like a, 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 a son that grew up really quick in my eyes. I had a daughter and then twin boys. And then twin and boys. Twin boys, yeah. And I remember walking out of the hospital with the two car seats, not one, but two. And the proudest, proudest person ever, like walking out. And we drank all the time, but it was, there's a lot of shameful things I've done. Like I, my wife went out one time and, um, I I told her I wasn't, wasn't going to drink fog anymore. I, I went on to the wine, you know, like the wine connoisseur. Like I'll, I'll convince myself that if I drink wine, I'm not an alcoholic or, you know, I'm not, you know, if I don't drink the fog spirit and I move to wine, I can tell people that, oh, I can try all these different wines and I know what I'm talking about. So I went on to wine and realized that drinking wine very quick that was even better than the vodka was. I was like, fuck, I can, you can buy a big fancy glass. You can put the whole bottle into one glass. That's right up my street. I drank that. And then that was only one glass. That was one glass. I was convincing myself this is a big, massive fucking bucket of wine. So I would have had two. I only had two glasses of wine. I, oh, fuck, I only had three. And I'm drinking three bottles of wine. Like what, what, how did it get to here? And, um, my wife had went out one night and she said, no, you're not going to be drinking tonight. You've got M3 to look after. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm not drinking. Swear, I promise, babe. That's no chance. And her father rang her saying, I found Lee in the floor. He's passed out. There's three bottles of wine sitting and another one opened. And it was like always an accident waiting to happen with me. And I've said this before. It's like, I promised my mom I would never drink again. I promised my brother I would never drink again. I promised, I swore my kids' lives. My kids never seen me drink. My kids never seen me like drinking. Like they were too young. And then as they got older, I hid all that shit. I waited till they went to bed and I got totally blocked, you know, totally out of it and got up the next day, not able to move, you know, not doing anything for them, all that air sort of shit. And then after all, after all them times and like drifters, sometimes like, you know, You've collapsed. You've nearly died. You've you've got these children. You've got another chance, you know. When you still drink, you know, you're still trying to. There's something eating away at you. You have to drink all the time. And uh, so I got a phone call one Sunday, and it was Joanne's father, and he rang me and he said that her mother had died. It was just blunt. It was just like out of the blue because Iris is dead. It was just like that. I was like half eight in the morning. I was like, what? And I couldn't, couldn't like compute what he just said. He says, is Jolene there? And I was like, no, she's just gone to work. He says, you need to tell her. And I'd already told my mom that when I had to tell my mom that my granny had died, I got the phone call. And that was whenever I got the phone call about my grandmother, that was her home help. You get home help, you know, like care to look after so she was 84, my grandmother, and the home help had rang me and said, Lee, you're, you're, she just said it in a sweet way. She just says, your granny's not breathing anymore, son. I was like, right, okay. And I had to tell my mum. So whenever my wife's mother died, her father rang me to tell me that I needed to tell her. So I was ringing up my wife and saying over the phone, like, do not get into your car, but, you know, because I'm coming up to get you, but your, your mum's passed away. And for three days, like whenever my wife came home, um, her mother was up and she had died in bed. She'd had a seizure and it was the worst death ever. Every organ had shut down. And there's blood coming from her eyes, nose, ears. 
just terrible. And I couldn't go upstairs. I, I, I was there for like the first five or 10 minutes to, to try and console the family. But my wife went upstairs. I'd never seen her come down. She sat there for an hour, wiping blood coming out of her mother. Like and the paramedics and all came. And like, I don't know what that done to my wife. You know, I have no idea. But um, I had to look after these three kids. And in a drama, I'm good. You know, if there's a real bad situation happens, I don't drink. It's whenever I'm on my own, you know, or if somebody leaves me, the abandonment thing, I, then I, I turn to alcohol. So she, she, um, her mum had died and um, I, was, I knew I had to, I was looking for something. And I started, I went to the doctors and um, he knew there was something wrong. And he, he he gave me leaflets and stuff, and I was so far gone that um, I didn't realize that. I, I don't know if it was a breakdown or I can't say it was a breakdown, but I was not in a good frame of mind. And I went to the doctors, and it just burst out crying. And I don't know, I have no idea. I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It was just uh, I was a mess. And he diagnosed me with uh, anxiety and stress disorder. And I had no idea what that meant. And I worried so much and the anxiety, all the years of drinking and the pain it gave me in my stomach and for months and months and months, like just somebody stabbing me for months and months and months at a time that I didn't even want to, like it was so excruciating. And they gave me tablets and they were really, really strong. And it just sunk you out. It was like, like it was just the same as alcohol. It was just only these tablets like made you like a zombie, you know? And um, I didn't like taking them. It was, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was one bad habit for another. And I said to myself, right, I have to do something about this. I can't take these tablets because you need a sex life for a start. Um, and you need to, you need to be able to support your wife. You know, you can't just be like a zombie all the time. And, so I said to myself, right, if I can't, if I, if I don't take these tablets, what state am I mentally? And people with anxiety and stress, you know, whenever I see it now, I can see it like it's day and night. So I said, right, I'm not going to take these tablets. And I sort of weaned myself off them. And uh, I said, I have to stop drinking. You know, I have to try. So I looked into things and looked up Google. YouTube was massive for me. YouTube, I seen these people had done posted videos and I watched a lot of them and like somebody had four years and five years, you know, that kind of thing. And you looked so up You're just these. getting into your discovery that you've had a problem with alcohol. <clears throat> you want off these, um, this medication. And now you're looking to try to get off everything right now, right? So what? Yeah. When was this? Twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, it was right. Yeah, around about that time. Um, my my mother in law be I'll have passed away five years this September, and that date was nine eleven. She died in nine eleven, so you know, and now it has a big impact for a lot of people that date, you know, and um, that was a freaky thing for me, like because I'd seen all that stuff news years and years and years ago. There was my my mother in law died in that day, and it stoked up so much stuff, you know, for me. I was like, Jesus, like this is crazy, you know, because I'll never forget that day. 
anyway, you know, and there was my, my mother-in-law and, but I looked up this and I've stumbled across like um, all these YouTube videos and it made sense to me. I was like, eh, there's somebody out here that can actually, you know, somebody's doing this. And I looked up apps, I seen this app and I thought, right, I'll try that and um, see how it goes. And it turned out to be, I am sober. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no idea what it entailed or what, you know, I'd just seen this counter and I thought that's pretty cool. Let's see how many days I can do, you know. And uh, that's how I started that process. And you would know a little bit, a little bit about that. Um, so, so, Lee, let me ask you this. <laughs> During this time, when you were drinking and, and taking the medication up, were you waking up like so many people talk about with the um, feeling like you wanted to die, all the all the destruction, you know the. I, I, I don't know how many times I was close to death with drinking. To say like collapsing in your bathroom, and there were so many times that I was in like a bathroom and shaking uncontrollably, and I'd I'd hadn't drank so many times. You've no idea. Like I told a story where I. My wife went to work and I got onto my kid's bike and my kid was like eight or nine. This bike is not for a grown man. It's a small bike. Right. And, I, and I'm and i riding this bike down to the supermarket with a bag on my back to get a crate of beer and cycle that thing back up to the house and go in and chug in as many beers as I can, knowing that I'm going to have a fallout with my wife, but I don't care. I just need that alcohol because I've... I'm, you know, I need it. That's my selfishness. I need to forget all this other shit. You know, it's, it was her mom. It wasn't mine. But yeah, and all, I was the greedy fucker that was going out and trying to drown my right. sorrows. Per me. It was just per, everything was me. Like, I want people to feel sorry for me. I want people to love me. I want, I don't want abandonment. And our person's gone. And there's me. I'm like, I need this fucking person, you know? And, uh, so how so were you waking? Up, how were you waking up? When you would wake up after these episodes, were you waking up like, "I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm done drinking, and I, I feel uh, like shit. I'm ashamed." Did you wake up with all that shit? The grief? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I there wasn't a day went past. I, whenever I look back, and I, I phoned my mother, and like she said to me, "I don't know how many times you said you, you weren't going to drink again." She says, "I never believed you because mm -hmm. you were just that character." You know, um, she would never look at me and say, I'm an alcoholic. You know, she would never admit that. And my, you know, the anxiety and stuff that I had, the stress, I, I can't believe I didn't see that before. And I, as like I say to a lot of people on that, I'm like, whenever you promise your, to your mother or your brother or your kids, or the next best friend and you're promising all these people that you're never going to drink again and then you have a drink the worst thing that ever happens is the weight of ex you know the, the expectation that's on you you put all that shit and you you can't do it for your loved ones you know and that's a really big thing it's like you feel like the worst person in the whole planet so you and went you just, for years you went for years telling people i'm done drinking yeah yeah all the time all the time all the time um and then like tragedy really struck 
you know, um, <clears throat> my brother's daughter, she had a child called Darcy. And I've spoken about this before, so I will be able to get through this. <clears throat> she, uh, her baby was 11 weeks old. And I had bought the, like, wee crib. And there's some, she had a, like, two weeks prior to what happened, she had, like, a little virus, you know, something was, you know, something was playing up with her breathing and stuff. And they gave her medication. She was, she was, she was doing good. She was doing all right. My brother was at work and his daughter was only 19 and we were always worried about, like, one of his daughters getting pregnant and, um, you know, how, what, what impact would that have on my brother? Because my, brother, my brother's partner walked out on him several years ago and he has all three kids. It's not very often you hear, it's always the man that walks away, but this is another woman that let, let, let him down. She fucked off and I didn't like her. But... Um, so this baby was coming into the world and I thought, shit, how's my brother going to cope with this? And it changed his whole life. He absolutely loved, cherished that child. And uh, after 11 weeks, um, something happened and Rachel uh, grabbed the baby and where they live is very close to where my brother works. And she ran through the whole town and got to the place where my brother works. And my brother thought, oh, she's just bringing the baby in to let everybody see. And the baby wasn't breathing. And um, they had, there was a male nurse that had actually been shopping and he started doing like CPR. And uh, my brother works in like a, like a shoe shop and like they had a seat and this nurse and everybody was like, I can't imagine what it was like for the workers and the, the people that were there and just to buy stuff and this baby's like there's CPR and there's an ambulance on its way and um, I was in work and I got a phone call and it was my brother screaming down the phone and he says Darcy's dead Darcy's dead and I was like what the fuck and I had to go it was me again I had to go and make sure that she was going to be okay or he was going to be okay obviously not we went through that whole funeral, man, and um, seeing my brother, like I carried, I, I had to hold Rachel the whole way through that, you know, for my brother because my brother said that nobody else was going to carry the coffin but him. He was, he was going to be the man who done that. To see my brother carry a coffin that small <clears throat> was awful, and uh, I. I was I was going through the funeral and you know holding it all together as you do you go into a sort of autopilot and I got home to his house and I stood in the hall and everybody was chatting and it was all done it was finished you know it was all, all over and he came out to the hall and he says and I just broke down I just I was gone and he came over and gave me the best hug in the world and uh, I just said life's not fair it's just not it's just not fair. And shortly after that, you know, I just started drinking so heavily uh, that life didn't matter. And I was, I took a picture and I posted it up and up. And I have a white Metallica t-shirt on and my beard's far longer. And if you look at that photograph and you see my eyes, <clears throat> I took that photograph for a reason. 
because for 20 seconds of my life, I wanted to end it. I just wanted, I didn't want to be here. I just wanted to be gone. And people say, I have everything I need. I have my wife. I have my kids. I have a home. I have cars. I have a job. I can put food on the table. But that didn't matter. It was just the addiction, the drink had just taken me, taken my whole soul, everything, mate. And uh, I shout out to my wife. I says, please don't leave. Please don't go out of the house. She was going over to her friends. I'd been drinking for days. She had sort of said, you know, she'd seen these episodes before. And I says, look, I'm going to end up killing myself. And she says, right, see you later. Bye. That's Irish. That's total Irish there. It's like, okay, you wall in that shit then. That's okay. I'm not putting, you, you have to dig yourself out of this. I can't help you. I love you, but I'm gone. And she shut the front door and away she went and she was fucking crying. And I was like, fuck, and I'm left. And I took that photograph and I thought, right, for 20 seconds, like I was like, well, what am I going to do here? And I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I didn't know what way I was going to do it, but for them 20 seconds, my head was gone. And I thought, right, I need to, need to sort something out. And I was on the app, and this app, with the, all the people that's on it, you know, 20, 2018, whenever I started, I thought, I'm not like these people. You know, I don't have a drinking problem, and they don't know fuck all. I'm not listening to this shit. And I left. I left the app. In 2019, I came back because I was still going through the, you know, that sort of that shit. And this is whenever that helped me because whenever Darcy passed away and I posted up stuff, you know, it's really, really difficult to talk about. But whenever people listen to this, what I would say to them is, why wait till you get to rock bottom? Why are you waiting? Whenever you have a chance, if you have a fire left in your belly, and a light inside your eyes, and you see all the pain that everybody goes through, do something about it. You have to start, and it starts at day day zero, as we call it. You have to start. And it doesn't matter if you break, you know, if you break, if you, it's, it's a cycle. If you like, my, my my whole story, Drifter, was I done 56 days. That was amazing for me. Like 56 days, and I thought, right, I've got this. I I, I know I I don't I I, I don't have a problem. Was that, was that in 2018 or was, was that in 2019? Um, the second time back? I think so. Uh, well, I've done, like, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Because um, when you I first just, came uh, on this app in 2018, you guys couldn't even comment to each other, right? No, no. There was no, you couldn't, you couldn't reply. You just post it. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure if you could put a picture up at, the, at that time. It was just a simple app. Or you post it up, you know, you you had, uh, you know, you could have a reset, and you pretty much start start back to day one, and you know, and I followed these two people that aren't on the app anymore, which that was not an abandonment issue for me. That's is why the people don't people didn't really understand why it, it hit me so much when somebody left that. I'm getting better at it, you know. I'm getting good at it now, you know, because I'm getting better myself. But these people never they left. Was, that was crushing for me, and there's people on that that are far, far, far further ahead, and I adore them, and they know who they are, and uh, but I I kept resetting, and I felt as if I was letting them down. You know, you 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 get a bond with these people that you know, like we're family, we're all family on that show as I put on, you know, and I do put on a show, um. 
I have many, many masks and I have plenty of holes and I'm digging deep to get onto the next step and telling this story is going to catapult me into the next chapter. And I really want to thank you for letting me do this because it's going to be immense for me and people, whenever they listen to this, they'll understand why I need happiness. Um, Your resets are like epic from what mm -hmm. I understand. I'm assuming this is when you got 56 days. Yeah. The, 50, the, the 56 days was like, I'm going to say like after 10 to 14 days, you, you, if you read all these books, the self-help books after 10 or 14 days, I'll tell you that, you know, that's the alcohol's out of your system. <clears throat> and around 21 days, I always felt great. You know, if I got you three weeks, I started to feel physically better. And then, um, so I kept going. But whenever I got to 56 days, I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to have a drink now because it's been a couple of months. And I feel so good. If I have a drink now, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to go back to the same. You know, I'm changed. And after the first drink, I was okay. I suppose the first night I didn't drink as much as what I would have normally drank, but I wanted more straight away. You know, the first day it was like, oh fuck. And then I didn't wait very long. It was just like the second day, well, I've done it now, so I might as well keep drinking. And then I'd have got really drunk. And then because I got really drunk, I was like, well, there's no fucking point doing this anymore. So after 56 days thinking you've conquered the world, three days in, you're a absolute mess and not doing much you know and then I had reset after reset after reset and we spoke about this here before we started I couldn't string a couple of days together you know without a reset and then maybe do maybe maybe done five days and then a reset and we always have this joke on the app it's like you know you got this that's the worst three words I ever hear and I remember I made a joke about it and all them people know me and they want to poke fun at me so if I dish it out I have to take it back and after me saying this if anybody's on that app they'll probably fucking hit my wall and say you got this now dude you know <laughs> them fuckers is going to do it I know it but they oh, all no, we're my... not going to tease you <laughs> <anymore>. <laughs> no, they're, they're going to they're going to hit my wall with you got this because I hate it that you see it all the time people who start over it's like you got this we've got your back and the same night, they're drinking again, you know, because and, until you realize that you're an addict and you're addicted to a substance, you're fucked. You have no chance. You know, you have to, whenever people come onto that app and they say, you, you can't tell them it's hell on earth for months and months and months because you don't want to scare the shit out of them. But some people can handle that. Some people are like, okay, I'll, I'll take on hell and see if I can get through to the other side. And other people, they need an arm put around them. Some people need both. Some people need an armpit around them and then a kick up the ass. And that can come across like arrogant sometimes. But you have to, I don't take life too serious anymore. You know, I'm lucky that way. Um, I've had enough serious shit in my life. But So you reset, Lilo, for like two years, right? Um, I was just, I, I seen all these people that was on the app like get to a hundred days. And I, I promised somebody on that I was going to get to a hundred days. That was my goal. I thought if I can get a get hundred days, that's a good, that's a good, you know, marker. So I'd done the 56 days. Then whenever I'd done it again and I, I beat 56, I, I think it's a good thing. If you can beat the next cycle, at least you feel as if you've got momentum, 
you're going to reset. Most people, like, I don't know anybody who's just had it out of the park and fucking done it like 10 years sober and fucking, I, I could be wrong, but most people reset loads of times and it's well, not the most, end of the world. A lot of people have reset years before they even got to the app and then they've yeah. been, able to, been able to come to the app, get the support and not really reset in the app, but they spent years, years resetting. Before. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, I, if people look back at the start of my story, like, even whenever I come back, I, I came back with my, my tail between my legs because I, you know, I didn't tell people, like, to fuck off or anything like that, but I was, I'd shut off that. I was basically saying, I'm gone, I'm out of here. Whenever I come back, I never had a welcome like it. It was like the red carpet was like, oh, welcome home. No, you're in the right place. Let's, you know, let's do this. Let's, you know, let's go. And that was that was the feeling that I I just needed. I needed loved. I needed to have that support. And I thought I I need to fucking do this. But I'd promised my mom. I'd promised my brother. I'd promised my kids' lives. I'd promised my wife. I'd promised everybody. And I still couldn't do it. And I still had the support from this app. I still had the support from these people who I didn't know. And the reason why they got it. It's because they were alcoholics. They were addicted to something. They had drug problems. They had weight issues. They had stress problems, anxiety problems, family loss, all these, all this shit. And they knew exactly what the mental aspect, it's not the physical, it's the mental aspect. The physical, you get through it in 21 days. The mental side of this has been life-changing. It's mind-blowing what, what you have to go through. It's really, really hard. The second time I'd done 63 days, I can remember these 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 cycles, like the lottery numbers, you know, it's embedded in there. So I'd done 63 days and that was the worst fucking time. That was worse than the 56 because I had to I had to start all over again. And I was like white knuckle. I didn't, I wanted to drink every day and I got to 63 and I went, fuck it, I beat the last one. I'm just going to drink. And then I promised I'm going to do 100 days. And now all these other people are, they've done 100, they've got to 200 there's me resetting all the fucking time. And then I, I started again and I got to 85. Like I'm 15 days away drafter from 100. That's all I wanted to do, get to 100. But it's me, me and my wife's anniversary. We went to Scotland and putting an Irish man in Scotland's not a good mix. <laughs> you just go for it. Like, you know, my wife turned around to me and said, I didn't, I didn't think you were going to drink. And I was like, I'm good. Like I've had 56 days and 63. I can do this, babe. You know, I can have a couple of drinks. And we had a really good time. I went out and I had a couple of pints and, you know, I ate burgers and stuff and seen the sights. I always love seeing the sights. And um, then on, on, on our anniversary, we got really fucked up. And we met another couple. It was their anniversary, the same, the same date. And we just clicked and, you know, met these strangers. And we just drank the night. And, and I was walking through the streets of fucking Edinburgh in Scotland, not having a clue where my hotel was, shitting myself because I'm, like, vulnerable there. I'm like an Irish guy with his wife, in, you know, not a big guy a small five foot two woman beside me and not feeling very great and uh, get through to got, got, get to the hotel. We didn't, we weren't in good shape the next morning. You know, we were both, my wife doesn't drink that much, but even she was suffering. I was even worse. And I came home and I thought, I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I, I, I think taking a picture of yourself in your worst moment is a good, good thing to do. I think if you can take a video of yourself, if you if you if you take a drink and you video yourself, you'll notice very, very quickly what 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 that animal is. It's hard to do because you'll switch it off. You know, you're not you're not go through with it, you know. But if you try that, 
but I came home and then my son, he was, um, I had introduced him to having a beer at 16. That was the worst thing I've ever done because I thought I was this co-parent that you know, could give his child, you know, uh, his first beer. And he spiraled to, when I was 18, he was like drinking all the time and um, taking all sorts, you know, um, was, uh, he was taking drugs and like drinking and I thought like self-harming and stuff like that. And so he moved in with me on the 26th of April um, and of last year. And he stayed with me for five weeks and we were sorting things out and he was going to, um, he was going to move in with his girlfriend. And I had a, I had a choice to make. I'd done these five weeks and he, the, the little shit, moved out one day after Father's Day. <laughs> what a timing, like, you know, this dude that I was trying to fucking help and he's kicking his dad in the balls. He's, he's, he's moving on with a girlfriend. I can understand why he wanted to be on with a girlfriend. He's wanting to, you know, uh, he was getting more out of her than he was out of me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and, um, but he, uh, so he, he moved out anyway and I thought, I ain't going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. And I wasn't doing it for him I wasn't doing it for my mum. I wasn't doing it for my brother or my kids. I was doing it for me. That was massive for me. I was like, I need to do this for me. Don't, don't put anybody else, don't put all that pressure on yourself. You fucked about, you, you know, I, I want it to be sober. I always want it to be sober. And the weeks went past, turned into a couple of months. And then I got to 70 days. I was like, that was the worst three days ever. I've had in this current street, I was a mess. I was decorating. I had music on that was talking, singing about how many, how many songs have I picked that's to do with alcohol? Oh, my sober playlist is crazy. And this sad song, come on. And I was crying my eyes out, painting the door, painting the bathroom door and like crying my eyes out, going, why, why am I feeling? What, what the fuck is wrong with me? It was all these raw, true emotions. You know, it was all this pain. And I was like, right, okay. So then I finally done it. I got to 100 days and see that counter. It changed from 99 to triple digits, one zero zero. And I was looking at it and I was like, holy fuck. And you see the response I got from that app and the people. I was like, you've done it. You've done it. You know, you've got to 100 days. And all the other times never I reset, I used to always pledge in the morning. I used to always hit the pledge button. But this time, I haven't because I bought this the, the the chain. I've showed I think I've showed you that before. I have the little chain and it's got the resign. I oh, yeah. bought that. I bought that. Um, it wasn't dear. It wasn't expensive. I just something I bought for myself. I was kind of I'm 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 going to be new. I need something to. So that was my pledge. I put that chain on and I thought of every single person that up. So I was carrying them a different way. It was like they're they're a family to me and I I put that on. I hold all those guys in my chest. And that supports me. It's there every day. So you guys um, can't see it. It's, it's a necklace, and it's got the uh, the triangle in a circle. For the for, that's what the AA symbol, right? Yeah, yeah. Because so all, he's, lot, he's wearing that around his neck, so you guys yeah, sort of know what he's. Yes. Yeah, so so lo- loads of people who are on that they do the AA program, and and there's people like me who, who don't follow a program, but I I've learned so much from each person. And there's no judgment on that. You know, everybody has their 
their views and things and people are there you've got you know religious people you have young people older people we're just a mix of misfits that really really just try to help each other and sometimes there's clashes and people fall out but I would have clashed a couple of times and I realized very quickly it was my addiction talking. It wasn't me. You know, it was the addictive side. If you go on there in a bad mood and you're going to post something, that's not going to be clever. You know, you're, you're reaching out for anger and you'll get anger times 10 back. If you go out there with love and spread the love around, you're going to get that tenfold. And I learned that very quick, you know, and that's why I try to lift people. You know, even through the hardest times, I was still trying to joke you know, that was my, that was my weapon, you know, that from school. I was like, if yeah, I can make somebody laugh. Yeah. If I can make one person laugh through all this shit, they might actually think this isn't, you know, I, I've got hope. And that was my, that was my thing. So, so you mix humor with an Irish and it can get yeah. a lot of, <laughs> a particular yeah. yeah. It's just like, <laughs> You know, and the more fun I get out of it, the more laughter I have. Like this is a painful. This has been a painful fucking chat we've had. Um, but through all all of it, it's just been hope and light. And you know, people who are listening to this might see a different side of me and realize what this community does. You know, it lifts me daily through all the shit. And whenever I got to 100 days, I took off. I got the next 50 days drifter. I was like 100 to 150, they call it, it was a pink cloud. I was riding that fucking, I was in the best form of my life. I was so happy. And then you sort of, you know, it pans out a bit, you know, your brain patterns, you know, it sort of sinks down. I hear people saying forever, like, can you really do this forever? Forever doesn't matter a fuck as long as you've got a good headspace in the now. And that's what a lot of people can't get their head around. They just think too fast forward. You know, they just, they're, they're too, too far ahead of themselves. So then I got like, once I got to hundred days and 150, I think the longest period I ever had of drinking was like without it. And my entire life was four months. So whenever I had five months and then six months, and there's people in that app that I joined with forces with, you know, we're in the same week. And that's what I always say to people. I, like, if you're starting over again, make a wee sub group within the big group, you know, and that keeps you accountable. I call that like fight. a sober, sober crew. You have your sober yeah, crew. Yeah, you have your sober crew. And then people think of the reset. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm out of the circle. Fuck that. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's everybody. The whole community is in this together. It doesn't matter. It's not me, myself, and I. There's no I and team. It's every single person. We want to lift everybody up. And it's not you still happen. have you still have the circle that have seen you. They've seen you fight for your your 56, 63, 70, yeah. 85, 100 days. They've been yeah. there through the whole thing. And through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so whenever people yeah. Yeah. So whenever you start over, you don't feel sorry for yourself. That's just a part of recovery. That's that's a recovery. It's not like let's get sober in the first go. It's recovery. And I, I, I always said this. I said, good people make bad choices. There's a lot of good people out there and they just made a bad choice. It doesn't have to be, it could be a decision they made at work. It could be something they said. It could be, I took the wrong turn here or I got in the car. It was a wrong choice. And, you know, the more you learn to change a good habit or a bad habit with a good habit, then that becomes a good habit. You get rid of the bad habits. 
And I've learned so much. I've read loads of books. I started running. I don't do that as much now because I'm old and fucking knees fucked. <laughs> I try to keep up these young ones and I can't. But, um, you know, I've read, read a lot of, like, and, and, and it's not all about alcohol. It doesn't have to be, you know, you get all these self-help books, but then you have to, you have to reignite your passion. So my passion's music. So I started going into all these old bands again and like putting rock shit up and I post loads of songs now. And people think, why is he playing fucking Justin Bieber after a Megadeth track? What's wrong with this guy? You know? And I'm sitting going, you don't get it. It's the lyrics. It's the lyrics of a fucking Justin Bieber song. You know, he could be singing about something that really fucking hits me. And I go, that might actually help somebody. And, um, you know, so that, that there has really helped. Um, but I kept going. And then this week, I had my year. And people like you and other people there well, say that again. We're, you had what? I had a big fucking year. A year. Hell yeah. A year. A year, yeah, man. Yeah. A year. Yeah. That's Congratulations. Been, that's been crazy. And the, the response, I done my speech yesterday. Uh, it was um, emotional. I joked. You would have loved it. I had an onion and a knife and I was sitting going, I'm not getting emotional over you, fuckers. I'm like, I've been peeling onions the whole night, you know. <laughs> I knew I was going to cry. I had a birthday card. It was a super birthday card from my wife. And I, I says, I like to thank the Academy for this award. And, you know, <laughs> I, I was on Lilo mode. I, the show was on. But then, as I say, like through all this here shit, the, the mask came off. People see me now. There's so many people. There's, so, there's a person in particular, I'll not say their name, but they see me. They know exactly what I am. And that is a beautiful thing. And it's, now, if people listen to this, they might actually realize this guy isn't fucking around. He's not joking around. He's not an egomaniac. He's just, he's himself. He is a funny dude. He does like to have a laugh. He doesn't take life too serious, but he's serious about sobriety and he wants people to get it. And that is paying it back. And some people think I'm trying too hard. It's like you can't save the whole world, but by fuck, I'm going to try because the world's a mess. Well, that's um, what I like about you, Lilo, and that's what attracted me to watch you is because you're you're bringing 100 miles an hour into your sobriety and um, you just wear your sobriety wide open, you know? Yeah. And I think that's just cool as shit. And, you know, I'm kind of like minded where I'm 100 miles an hour, too, in my sobriety. But um, it's really hard, Lilo when people just see texting because it's easy to put other things into it um, yeah. and assume, and I'm guilty of it, even with you where I've assumed things that weren't true. And it's because I don't know your story. So even sitting here with you and hearing your story has just totally changed how I I'm seeing you and how I, cause now I can see how you look at things. So I, I'm really grateful that you're, you're here. Go on though. Let's go on. It's, it's, it's that, that's the thing, as you say, like, you know, you can put up pictures and like there's loads of people that I still haven't met. So the zoom meetings that people organize through that app and you doing podcasts, it's just an extension of everything that's right. Everything that's right. Because we are growing as an online fan. I never thought I would have an online program that would be good. You know, it's like you've got the Facebooks and Twitter and Instagram. And I know other people do that and they swap emails and stuff. That's fine. 
if you're helping people, that's fine. But don't turn it into, I'm not, I, people joke, people will joke and say, I remember the first time I was introduced on the Zoom call and here's the celebrity. And straight away, there was the pressure of me. I was like, fuck, I have to do my show. And I, okay. I, was, so, I was so nervous and people spotted that. You know, some people do conference calls and you can do that. Like, even at the start of this, I was nervous, but you've made me relaxed. And people think that's what I do. People think that whenever I go on to Zoom, that's what I do. I make other people. If it wasn't for people like you and all these other people showing me that I can be, it's confidence. I get a confidence. And whenever my confidence is high, I don't need alcohol. I always thought I need alcohol to be funny. I need alcohol to be outgoing. I need alcohol to listen to music. I need alcohol to have sex. All that shit. Sex is better. The music's better. I'm living a rock and roll lifestyle without all that shit that kills people, you know? And it's taken me 47 fucking years to get to this place. And I'm not giving up. I'm not going to... I could definitely say that without a shadow of a doubt, apart from marrying my wife and having my children, this is the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. And it's been really hard. It's been a rocky road. I've reset, reset, reset. But the people out there listening to this, I promise you, if you're starting over again... We always say it. We always say this thing like, "Don't beat yourself up." Of course, we do. We do it all the time. But whenever you're saying, whenever you're applying to a post and you're putting that out there, I call it like a mirror. So you're looking into your, you're like, you're, you're giving advice to yourself. You, if you you go onto that app now and you see the replies, all them replies is people really looking at themselves. They're they're supporting the other person, but they're really explaining. The, the the questions they have and they're answering them themselves and I can see that all the time and maybe they don't actually notice what they're doing but they're actually giving themselves their own advice and if they hang on to it and support each other it will work and it's really hard to see friends that have fallen by the wayside and you know they're, they're pulled back in and you'll have dramas you know, you'll have relationships split up or somebody will pass away or, you know, it's just a shit show. And if you're in the early stages of that addiction, the first thing you turn to is the bottle. And I've done it many, many times. But now if anything was to happen, I hope and pray that I would have the experience now to know that the bottom of the bottle is not the answer. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a really, really beautiful thing to be sober now. Like, I, I, I know I've done my year, but I don't look at the counter. I don't have to pledge. I get up in the mornings and I put my, my, my chain on and away I go and I get on with my day and I give back as, as much as I can. And it's Well, you're transitioning just, from sobriety. And I heard Blue Not Black mention this. She mentioned this to me and it just like, boom, a light bulb went off. You, you've transitioned from sobriety into recovery. You're full, full-blown recovery now. Yeah, it's, I always, I, I, I don't want to upset people by saying this. Because I, I, I yesterday I met it was an alcoholic. I, I, I don't want people to think, you know, if somebody owns that and say they're an alcoholic, that's, you know, I've always said this and to my friends on there, that I, I didn't want to label myself that. I said it yesterday because I, I knew people wanted, other people needed to hear it. You know, and I had to, I had to own that shit. But I always said I was addicted to this substance because I want to kick its fucking ass back because that's kicked me for a long, long time. So I wanted to say I'm an addict. I don't want to be an addict my whole life. I don't want to be 85 years old if I get there. You know, still thinking I'm an alcoholic. I want to be able to say I used to be an addict. 
But now I don't give a fuck. I, I, I don't, I just don't drink and I have a wonderful life. I have a really, really good opportunity to have the rest of my days happy. My kids know that I don't drink. They don't really know the ins and outs of why, but they, they used to draw me birthday cards. Like this, this is like 14 year olds and 13 year olds still drawing birthday cards. Like, you know, you don't get many kids that do that, but they used to draw like birthday cards with bottles of wine and beer and stuff on it. And, you know, happy beer day, dad, no less, because they're, they're kids. They don't know. I got my birthday that's card. What, that's what they saw. Yeah. And I got my birthday card and I, there was nothing on it. That was, there was no bottles. There was no, you know, that was, as you say, light bulb moment. I'm like, my kids don't relate me to beer or wine or, you know, and it's a cool thing. And they joke sometimes. You know, they'll say, you know, oh, is Daddy not want a beer? You know, and I'm like, you know, I, I laugh it off. And I, I hope that whenever they get older, if they want to try drinking, that's, you know, I'll, I, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be that person. I'm just, I'm not a normal guy. I'm not a normal person. I, my brain, whatever way, whatever happened to me growing up, the, the drink and alcohol, there are people out there, normal, the normies, you know, like my wife can have a drink and, you know, she can have one drink and then have a cup of tea. That fucking infuriates me. I'm like, what the fuck? How the hell do you do that? <laughs> you know, you're looking at her going, yeah, you've got, if I had laser beam eyes, you know, I'd do some damage. But, <laughs> now, but, but now I'm like, I have like the, the ginger ale that I'm, I'm sitting here with you and that's my drink on a Saturday with her. You know, if she's having a drink, I'm having a drink. I still put it in the same glass. I'm not getting drunk anymore. I'm still having a drink with my wife. You know, I can still enjoy. She can still have one and not. She doesn't. The one thing she said to me was, she like looking back in my time, she did. She doesn't fear like going out and finding her husband and a mess in the floor. She doesn't. She doesn't work. She, I I don't have arguments to to go you know and get that. I want to get into that partly. Let's do one more break, then we'll come back for one more session, and I want to talk about how um, sobriety has changed your life with your, your, your family and everything. So we'll be right back. Okay. We're back with Lilo and he's going to tell us about how his life has improved with sobriety. Go ahead, Lilo. So everybody knows about the roller coasters and some people said about the matrix unplugging. And I, two years ago, if you think of all the resets I've had, you know, the, Every time it was around about two months, I reset. That was for a reason. I I didn't really know. I didn't believe in myself, really, you know. And this time, you know, it's been, I don't want to say it's been like easy because it hasn't. But whenever I think about it, we're, we're through a pandemic and there's thousands upon thousands of people passing away. It's tragic. And we're getting sober. We're all getting sober through the worst time that I've faced in, in, my, in the history of that since I've been born. And um, the, the pubs and clubs are start opening again. And I, I'm, I'm about fearful for people who are just starting off because it's, it's been easier for me to know that there's been no pubs open or, you know, I could still go and buy alcohol, but I changed my living room, which was my own bar into a place of safety for me again. It was just a living room where I watched TV with my kids 
I watch like Avengers and I'm not about my two 13 year old twins that, you know, really want to get involved with Star Wars and like kids stuff, you know, things you take for granted and you have so much fun talking about characters and I've read so many books. I'd like to say I'm getting smarter drifter, but <laughs> you have to read a lot. You'd have to read a lot of books to get that guy smarter. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But, um, but you're the, a different kind of smart too, Lilo, because you, you're street smart with the alcohol and the shit that you've learned in life. You can't find in a book. You know what I'm saying? You can find ways to live your life better in a book, but there's shit that you've learned that um, the experts can't tell you because they've never yeah. been there. Yeah. So, like a book for me now is The Great Escape that you have to give yourself time. Every single day, even though I'm married and have children, I give myself at least an hour. I have to give myself an hour of me time. And it's, if that's in a book or, you know, just escape, you know, it's, you know, your imagination is power. You know, I, I understand people with nature and if they're going for a long walk or a run. Man, the euphoria moments I've had, I remember I was driving home and um, from my mother's and one of the things I never even touched on was like um, two years this June, my mum was on a life support machine. She had nearly, she had nearly died. And that was another traumatic thing that I just, I never wrote down because it was another thing it was going through, but she nearly died. And through dramas drifter, I was always very good. You know, I, I for weeks upon weeks, I drove to that hospital every day for six, seven weeks and she came through and she's like an inspiration to me. And even though the things I've said, like, like I love that woman like so much, she's the only one I have left, you know, and if anything happened to her, I would, I would have that support. I'd have that network now, you know, it's, it's okay for me to love myself. I love myself now, you know, um, men are speaking out. It's a beautiful thing to see men talk, you know, the woman in that app half their time. It's time to kick him to the side. They'll be listening to us going, I like that guy the whole way through this. Nice fucking slavering, but he's, he's giving off. But <laughs> the, the, the women are so strong on there. They really are. Yeah. They they left us up. And But the best thing for me is like money. I've saved so much money. I've paid off my debts. I was in debt to the eyeballs. I mean, Drifter, I had credit cards with like £5,000 worth of fucking debt. Gone. All gone. I had another one, 2000 gone. And I don't make big money. I, I don't make big money, but I just chipped and chipped and chipped away along with my wife. And we went, we're never getting in that. I had an overdraft, like an overdraft, like, you know, you can get so much off the bank. So it was like a thousand pound or something minus. And I remember it was like 992 pound. I couldn't even lift 10 pounds. Like, so it's like you go into the bank and you can't lift $10 and you have to wait until you get paid. I've went surpassed that. I'm out of my overdraft. I have savings now. I've saved to go to Florida again. We were saving up anyway, but, you know, it took about three years, but we're going to go to Florida next year. And, you know, I've bought a new car. I've bought new phones. They, these are immaterial things. They right. don't really matter. You know what I mean? They don't really matter. But this is how my life's improved. I can look at myself. I get in my new car. I feel good about myself. And the one thing about that new car, I'm not getting in worrying about drink driving. I can go wherever the fuck I want. I can get stopped by a policeman and say, breathalyze me, dickhead, because I'm going to pass. <laughs> you know, I'm like... Oh, you guys I, talk to cops like I do over here. Huh? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for them. I'm saying, breathalyze me. No, go ahead. No, fucking stop me and breathalyze me now. I want to... <laughs> you, you, you done it the last time, fucking asshole. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, them things. And my kids, 
my kids, I get everything from my my children. I I always wanted to be a good dad, and alcohol was probably taking stripping that some of that away. Um, my wife, my wife, if she was here, she would tell you that I'm the best dad ever because I had it all. I had it all from them, so they never seen that side of me. But I, I, it's still shameful for me. But the best part about it now is I don't have to worry. I don't have to. I can I can be the best dad ever. I had the worst father ever, and whenever he died, my mum told me about whenever he died. He died of a heart attack, and he she 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 just told me she says I've something to tell you, and he he, he died. I was fucking raging. I, I wasn't I wasn't crying over that man. I was raging because I wanted to fucking meet that guy and turn around and say to him, you know, I want I needed that face to face moment with that guy who ruined my mom. You know, I needed that, and I I never got, maybe that was meant to happen. You know, I was never meant to see him. You know, because God knows where I I don't know what I'd have done. You know, I'm not a violent man, but I, I would have got you know I could have killed him. You know, so. The thoughts that go through my head now, I can have emotions. I can sit and watch a TV show and I can laugh my ass off and it's proper belly laughs. And I can cry at something, you know, I can cry at something, just, you know, something on the news. And it's all emotion. And it's the emotions that I've missed my whole life. And that is what makes me now. And whenever people listen to me now and whenever they go on to that, whatever they say, I've done it my way and it worked. You know, it works for me. And I'm really, really proud of myself. I'm really, really happy that I've done this. And I'm really, really happy for the people that try. If as long as you give it a fucking go, you know, not everybody's going to do this. There's, that's, that's, that's the sad part. You know, there's, there's going to be people that will just never, ever get this. And if you do Three get it. Three million and, people die of this shit. You know. Yeah. It's, Three million. That's, that's crazy. Do you know something? Do you know a lot of the things I seen in the supermarket the other day? That was a yogurt that was gin flavored yogurt for children. Like that's what that's what Hound Hound rages about that yogurt. She's so pissed yeah, off about that. Yeah, yogurt. I, I, I'm like, what? My wife, my wife was cooking um, the other day, and she had to like do a sauce, and she was like, how to use red wine? And I was like, this alcohol better burn out of this shit. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't eat this fucking pie. Oh you, I don't, I want this crusty fucking pie burnt. Like burnt, I, right. I'll eat it. I'll put fucking cream or something on it, like our sauce or something. But just make sure it's not on it. Like you know, that's how far gone I went. But at the same time, like I'm having a, an absolute blast. So let's talk you about know. your wife. Does she like you again? Um, well, that's a question <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to ask her. Um, we, like uh, that—that's funny you say because like we've we've had so many conversations about the app, about the amount of time I spend on it. That's an addictive thing. You know, uh, the, the dynamics change in relationships. You know, she knows she doesn't want me to drink ever again. She thought that I was going to be this person who could moderate, moderate, it's bollocks. It doesn't work. Um, but now she's really, really happy. But we're still going through some issues, you know, because everything's going to open up again. And, you know, we're, we're trying to get on holiday. Like, even though I've done, you think about a year, you've traveled one, one way around the world, you know, do, doing all that. There's still things I haven't done. So one of the things I thought of my year, I thought I'd be on holiday and I'd be beside this pool, you know, not in the water because I'm afraid of water, but I'd been, I'd have been in the, you know, sitting, lying beside a, a lilo. <laughs> I've been on a lilo with lilo and uh, I'll have a mocktail, you know, I'll have to try, I'll have to have an orange juice or something like that while she's having a drink. And that's different because you're in holiday mode. 
I haven't been in holiday mode this whole time. So that's another thing I have to get through. But I know I'd be able to do it because I've I've worked tirelessly to get here and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna end that. So there's so many things. Like whenever I leave here and I'll probably say, shit, I should have said this and should have said that, but we've covered so much. You know, I just hope I always said I said to you yesterday, like I just hope I help one person. And that's bullshit, because I want to help everybody. And that's that's the mindset. That's how I've changed. You know, it's just, I always said, if I can help one person, that would be great. How, how amazing would that be? And now I don't want to lift up one. It's like, I want to lift everybody up. And I hope, I hope what the people who've wasted their time listening to me drivel all that shit, <laughs> get something out of it. Oh, you've been, you're you know? fantastic. I, I love this. I mean, we've been here for like a good Forever. three hours. <laughs> yeah, but it, it just seems like it's gone really quick. Um. But Lilo, you do give back. You're constantly giving back and you give back with um, you give back with the Zooms. You give back by engaging with uh, a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people to follow you. So you're always giving back. And I think that's where um, the that's where we we feed our souls. And that's why I do what I do, because I've caused so much damage in my life, Lilo. And giving back restores my soul, you know. And that's part of uh, the 12 stepping of sobriety. I'm not a, like a 12 stepper, but there's a lot of the steps that I use just like organically. They're just there. So I, I think, I think the first two steps, I think it was one was to admit you had a problem. And then the second was one, it was a, you want to change. Is that right? Yeah. Willing to yeah, make something. a change. And then I think the yeah. third was with God. Yeah. See, so the, I remember buying a book, <laughs> a recovery book by Russell Brand. That was told to me and it was all about ego of all things. And they were the first two steps. And I thought, fuck, I've done them. You know, it's kind of weird. So uh, people who do the, the steps and people like me, we just join, you know, we yeah. just join forces. We just join forces. I don't see any right or wrong and, if it works for one person, if it works for me, and instead of second guessing that shit, you just talk about it and say, what part worked for you? Because I could use that. And then right. I, like, like so I, I, one one of it's forgiveness and fucking going to people and fucking doing that. I've started to do that. Without knowing that I'm actually doing fucking 12 steps, only doing it the Lilo way. I'm doing it one, right. seven, three. Right. I've made a new one and I've got 13. They're like, I, I told you, remember I, I wrote the thing and you liked it. It was like, I've got a manual. And I'm doing it. I'm wrapping up the road. I love that. I'm molding this shit. And I've got this book that I'm writing that's my way. And it's crazy. But it works. And then you go in and you edit your manual. You're writing your manual. And then as your things are changing in your your recovery, you're rewriting your manual so that it works for you. I love that. Man, I attached onto that shit. Man, see, 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 whenever I say like the first year, the second year can't be the same as the first. I just can't, I just can't be the same. It's There's going to be different things happen. So you sort of have to tear up the rule book and start again. It's like, you know, doing this, I've started chapter two. This is yeah. like, are you talking, do you talking 12 steps? I've, so that's 12 years. I'm on, I'm baby step. This is, this is like, you know, I'm a baby. So, you know, and I feel good about it. I'm reborn. And you talk about faith. I'm, I'm born again, you know, all the, I, I'm not a big believer in faith and stuff like that because I never had any faith in the people, you know, I never had anybody to hug me and love me and tell me it's okay. 
And so isn't it crazy do. you're finding this in this virtual world because there's you're not finding abandonment in there? No, it's like people want to hear my story and people want to, people, I've heard people say they sort of uh, like levitate to me because the way I do things. That's kind of cool, you know, who doesn't like, you know, nice things said about them, right? So, right. you know, but I, I've always done that my whole life. I've always tried to make people feel good. Maybe that's where I went wrong, you know, and made myself. I never looked at that mirror and looked at myself and gave that self-love back. And I'm learning to do that every day. Yeah. Lilo, man, I just, I really, I thank you for sitting down with me and uh, sharing your story. And it's just, it's powerful. You've come through, a, you just come through a lot, man. And you're on the other side. And, and I, I think that you're not like a baby anymore drinking milk. And I think that you're more like you're eating meat now and you're really diving into your friggery. You know what I mean? Cheers, man. Cheers. I really appreciate it. And uh, so is what I'm going to do is I'm going to close this out and then we're going to, I'm going to get all this up and then I'm going to clean out your green room and take those photos down. And shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have to keep at least one cut cardboard cut out yourself you know so you can kiss that shit every day and say okay. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you everybody for joining us this is a sober town podcast jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible wonderful world of sobriety and pour the poison down the sink lilo thank you so much yeah it's an absolute pleasure hello sober town and welcome to the sober town podcast this is polly I am here doing an off the cuff with the lovely Lilo, Lilo Lilo. How do you like it pronounced? It's uh, quite funny because I say Lilo and everybody else has started to say Lilo. And because my, because my name's Lee, it sort of works. So yeah. I, just, I just go with the flow. So <laughs> I, I, I say Lilo, but... Uh, okay, so we will, we will stick with Lilo. Because it's uh, so now everybody can call you Lilo. So I have two questions following yeah. your very, 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 very open chat with Mr. Drifter. Beautiful podcast, wonderful podcast. From that podcast came a post I did about wearing a mask and how we hide behind the mask because we hurt. We don't show people the hurt. But my question to you, first off, is after you did your interview, did you have any uh, fallout feedback, positive feedback, negative feedback? What happened after the interview for you? For me, um, after we, me and Drifter spoke, like, so we always have like five or 10 minutes after it. And we were just, we couldn't believe the time that went month past, you know, it just went past so quick. And then the response from people off the app was just, it's the, it's the same, you know, for anybody else that's doing it or anybody who's sort of fearful of, of trying to do it. It was, um, the response has been great because um, it'll, help, it'll help people that, you don't realise how many people you're helping by telling their story, you know? And um, if there's like a couple of people who resonate with, one part or you know maybe several bits for me it was an epiphany because once I was talking to Drifter and sort of got out there and other people helped me to tell me tell my story it was um I realized that all that past stuff that I had talked about I hadn't really 
dealt with as in my drinking. I didn't realise that that had been such a big part of the reason why I started drinking. I never thought that way at all. I, I like whenever I talked about my dad, he never he never forced me to drink because he wasn't there. He never told me. He, he never asked me to pick up beer. And um, my mom, you know, she never asked me. And but all these problems that I had growing up. Whenever I look back now, it's like it's glaring at me. You know, it's it's um, it's unbelievable to think, you know, that <clears throat> all that sort of um, growing up and being so young at the time and not understanding half the things. You know, it's it was there. So that's been really 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 good for me. And then with the feedback with everybody that's on there, and there's like I didn't, well, I wasn't expecting as many people to listen to my <laughs> it's surprising isn't it but i wasn't expecting people to listen to this uh mad irish man talk but it's been overwhelming i suppose but in a good way in a good way so it's all been positive for you it's been yeah it's been pretty positive the only thing i would say is like when you know that it's like i would say it's probably about 80 percent women or you know for me um, I would like to have had a bit of response from men because, but then men don't talk, you know. And what you do is, you know, with your groups and stuff, I think that's tremendous. I think that's really, really good. And I've said that before, and I joke that, that you've you. probably seen my, you've probably seen my reply today. It's like, can I get a sex change? <laughs> can I, can <laughs> we I have fun. We have fun. Uh, it was, it was a mean, bit. But, but that, um, so for for men, you know. Um, you all have, you always have to be tough. You have to be this tough guy, and you know you're not allowed to talk about your feelings and stuff like that. And I think that's you know that's so outdated now. And um, there's so many problems. It's not just alcohol. It's you know, um, it's highlighted today. And you know, you know, like I'm not going to say you know what what her name was, but that really hit me today. You know, whenever somebody's in that dark place, you know, you sort of say to yourself like, there's bigger things going on here. And um, you, need, you just need to reach out. You just need to be able to talk. I think we all can relate. I think the reason these these talks telling, I, I say it's not our story. It, when you say a story, it makes it sound like this is fiction. It's not fiction. This is our life we're putting out there for people to listen to. And to reach that dark, dark place, and then you read someone else's in that dark, dark place. You can relate to them. You can, um, you can, you can tell them, "I know what you're feeling," and you do know what someone's feeling. You yeah, reach I, out I, to a lot of people. I, I never, I never thought that um, I would be. I never thought I could get so low. You know, I mm-hmm. never thought. I, I never thought I could sink to a place where it was scary and. That's the only reason why I want to tell my story because most people, whenever they come on, say and make new people join or or anybody listening to this podcast, who don't even know what I'm talking about, you know, about the I am sober up. But if um not many people rewind back to the start, you know, you don't whenever you meet somebody else, you don't I, even I, I don't do it. I, I like I maybe see somebody and I haven't spent the time to actually like sort of rewind and see how 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 big, big a struggle it was how many resets so some people are now you know if they say to me like how did you do it and you know i'm in such a good place like drinking does not 
that that's it's mad for me to say I, it's it's joyous it's like i do not worry about alcohol at all and like it's taken it's taken quite a while but it's that million dollar question it's like how you know if we could we could work out what it was that that finally got me to this place <laughs> answers in a postcard you know um but it's um yes i know a lot of people um like my craziness on there but at the same time uh i kind of i still struggle with uh, putting on the show you know i still do that Mask. You know? yeah so what i've really started to do now is like after telling the story of that chapter's sort of closed i can close that part i think because we cannot change the past we can just accept that we did these things we can't change them we can draw a line um, and I listened to, I think it was, um, I can't remember if it was Rags' story. And she said, drew a li- someone said that they drew a line in the sand. And I think you do have to, at some point, draw a line in the sand and step over that line into new sand. Start a new chapter in your life. And this is your new chapter. Yeah. This is where you are now. This is a whole new chapter for you. This is a whole new you. And I think... Once you get past the worst of um, the resets, the cravings, that how do I do this? This is, I can't do it. There is no such word as can't. My mom always said to me, can't is not in the dictionary. Can and not is in the dictionary, but can't isn't. So there's no such word. So don't ever tell me you can't do something because you can. Um, You reach out to a lot of people and you support a lot of people on the app which is the I Am Sober app, which is where we all met, which is where this all came from. And you reach out off the app also because a lot of people can relate to your story. We've all got stories to tell, life stories. And you reach out to such a lot of people because they they resonate with what you've been through. Um, We've all had trauma. I had an incident with Karina and I don't know if you listened to a podcast here and I did called about CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, which is almost talk therapy. <clears throat> and she asked me a question and I had an epiphany like you. The question totally floored me as to what were my feelings when I first started drinking. And it knocked the feet out from under me because it was fear at the time, based on the circumstances I was going through, it was fear. So it, And this is 20 years later that I suddenly find. So you, the same, you don't always realize it at the start. But once you start opening up and letting things out, you get answers to things. I suddenly found a why. So it sounds like you also found why you started drinking. There was a why there. Not all of them, but some of them. Your epiphanies. Some of the things I just can't, uh, I can't, I can't change, but I think it's some people say leave the past in the past, and you know some people say live for today and tomorrow. You know you, you don't know, but I sort of take wee bits out of. I'm different. I know I'm different. I, I I I've done things wrong and I've made mistakes and um I've had loads of resets. But the one thing about me was I always wanted to be sober. Uh, once I made up my mind, I was like, right, I want to be sober. It took a lot of hurdles and I've read somewhere like it can take up to two years and that's not to scare anybody listening to this because, you know, 
um, especially whenever you start off. But you know, it can take a couple of years before you sort of, you know, you get you, you sort of climb up. A, you know, what it's like everybody says a roller coaster sort of thing, and that is true. It's like you know your feelings and emotions and. My emotions now, whenever I laugh, I really laugh. Like I really barely laugh. And it's genuine. Whenever, yeah. Whenever I cry, I cry. And, you know, and that's okay. And all them feelings are, them, them feelings are good. You um, say that, you say that about crying. And like we say, and like you said a little while ago about men don't show, not enough men show their feelings. You show your feelings, you show your emotions. And we need to encourage more men to be open and show their emotions. Is there anything that you didn't share in the podcast with Drifter that you want to touch on and talk about now? Because you and I have not got long to chat. Yeah. Maybe we'll get another one in sometime. Yeah, I think I think with my mom, I, the, the one, one thing that I, I listened back and one thing that I really sort of felt that I'd done a wee bit of the service to was my mom and granny and my family because there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that my mom loves me and my grandmother, God rest her, you know, um, loved me. Um, but that wasn't the, the point was that they didn't realize that the lots of times when if I was me on, you know, I was a young child and just sort of thrown under the mix of all the story that I've told. And it's only as I got older that I realized how alone I was, you know, I didn't mean to, um, you know, I would like my mom. If she if she was listening to the podcast, she'd probably find it very difficult to listen to. Um, so I wouldn't put her through that. Another thing I was touching on with Drifter was whenever my mom was on a life support machine. Um, that was nearly two years ago this June. My dog is crying to get out the back, so I'll take this with me. Um, so that that was hard. Um, that was a hard time. But one of the things that I want to sort of stress. Um, with this is the one thing that my wife pointed out to me was that whenever I one thing that I really I didn't realize and whenever you're inside your own bubble and that's a word to pick uh, going through a pandemic but whenever you're inside your own bubble you need people from the outside to look looking in because you can't see it all you know no out saying you can't see the wood for the trees so I always thought that stress was my biggest trigger. And my wife turned around and said to me, every time there was a drama, she said, you are the guy that everybody relies on. Um, whenever your mom was really ill, you never drank. You never drank one thing. You were going to work in the car, driving for miles and miles and miles to go to the hospital and picking up your brother. And you were there every single day, the morning, noon and night at times, you know, with your mom. And she said, and that went on for six weeks. And she said, you never had a drink. She says, whenever you go home and your mum was out of hospital and whenever we cared for, that's whenever you drank because there was no drama, you know? So that was kind of weird. And then she said to me, like, if my brother's kids get into trouble, it was always me. It was me picking them up or going to the hospital with my eldest son or police station, God forbid. I was always there. And it was whenever I was on my own in the house, and if I had a, like and nothing else to do, <laughs> you know, it was just like, oh, I'll drink now because, you know, but that's what I do. Yeah. So, so having that answer really, really blew my mind because she was sort of looking at me going, do you realize, you know, and then having my wife and my mom and my brother and 
out our family now are starting to like holy shit like this guy's he's like he, he really means this because some people don't you know they think that's just a it's a face yeah it's just a face but now it's becoming a thing so now with the pandemic with things opening up and, and stuff again I'm not I, I can't wait I'm just ready I'm bursting to go out there you know um, but I do worry about people on the app um, that are starting off or maybe have had a, bit, a little bit of a wobble because in my mind, I'm as strong as I've ever been. You know, nothing's going to stop me. But um, th- th- I do worry about whenever things start opening up because people might just go, ah, fuck it. You know, you know, you only live once, that sort of attitude. And that's that's the thing I would say. I would say this These is the fuck it button. <laughs> yeah, well, my fuck it button is well... It's not broke because I never haven't had it. So, but it's hidden somewhere. Um, so, and a lot of good friends in that have taught me how not to hit that fucking button. And I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. This has not been all about me and not just one person. I could not have done this in my own. No way. There is no I in team. Def- definitely, definitely not. not. And. Like you, I am not fearful of things opening up. I will come over to the UK at some time when I'm on vacation to visit my boys. We used to always spend our time eating out, socializing, meeting friends, things like that. But this time it's going to be different. And I think when we go on vacation, we're going to have so much more fun because we've learned to laugh without alcohol we've learned that we are funny people even without alcohol yeah <laughs> <laughs> we we laugh and i don't know you my husband uh, my husband was asked the question uh was it yesterday or the day before i can't remember my days all run together that's what old age does for you um and he was he did say that i was different he did notice the difference i mean this time giving up alcohol for me has been totally different. And I think a lot of it is the connections through the app and what is happening off the app. Um, in so saying we, you know, we're not, we're not all, um, we still got to be careful with who we connect with. Yeah. Um, there's always the, the little bit of fear there and that's a healthy fear, but I think, You have a lot to offer. And what is, when's your next vacation? You going to Florida? Um, Next next year, hopefully. Yeah, you can go ahead. I'll get in touch. I've got a a friend who actually works for the Florida Tourist Board. And I'll let him know that you're on the way. He's a good guy. I've got lots of friends. And we've actually got quite a lot of people we connect with that are down in Florida that would probably come up, meet with you and enjoy a connection because there's quite a few. few And um, I know you've not got much time. So what is the next big milestone for you? I don't. Oh, did you not? Right. So I've got I've got I've got five or ten minutes. Um, If. So the thing for me was I never really made a big deal about milestones. Um, you, I don't know if you never picked up on that. So um, whenever I was with you know, a couple other ones off yep. but I Am Sober, we, they really drilled into me at six months. You know, they were saying, right, now you have to start celebrating. Like, you know, come on. And I sort of did it for them. 
you know, because milestones for me was like another part of a trigger. You know, it was like, so now what? So now what? So now what? And then I realized very quickly, like milestones for me are just another day. You know, so saying that, whenever I got to a year and the things that you said to me that meant a lot, um, I remember the first Zoom call I was on and I remember you saying because you were so nervous and this here guy that's supposed to be so outgoing and I, I was getting myself. And, uh, so now I'm like very, very I'm comfortable. You know, I can sit here not nervous at all and talk to you. And the other thing is, I know you're asking me, but, and I've listened to a few podcast follow-ups but for me, the very first Zoom call, if you can remember, I think yes. I was in your and you started talking about this is it, and this is going to be the, and you're doing it. And that is amazing. And whenever I see people like you, uh, I sort of say to myself, do you know what? If, you know, it's, as you say, there's no I in team. Uh, it's, not, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's, you know, it's every single person in that community. And that's why I love it so much. And it's very hard for me. It's hard for me to back away. It's very, very difficult for me because I have connected with so many people, as you say, and I struggle if I don't stay in touch because the whole abandonment issues and stuff in my story, yes, I do like to be, I, I like attention. That is clear. I do like to have things said that are nice for me, but the whole ego thing, is quite funny for me because I am the way I am. I just to think, I used to think like, you know, it's just, um, it's just, I'm just, I just like having a laugh. I like, I like being funny and, and having a, a carry on, but um, it, it, it's very, very difficult to, to, to walk away from. I'll never leave that, that up, but I do need to cut back. And that's the hot, that's the next step for me. It's very, very difficult to do. And I need help from people to do that because people keep telling me, take a break, take a break. And then I, t- then I take a break and I go, where were you? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I put it away two minutes. I think it also, do you, do you think that it keeps you accountable by checking in there and just, even if you only put a thumbs up or a heart where you read someone's story, just I, to know that you've been, does it help uh, you keep, keep, stay accountable? I... I think in the earlier earlier stages, yeah. For me now, it's like I I had so many doors to walk through and I had so many keys and I was finding the right key for the right lock to get through to the next stage. And that's the best way I can explain it. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like, you know, that door doesn't open, so reset. And then, you know, find another way. And so for me, like resetting, um, or sorry, for pledging, I don't pledge. I don't get up and press the pledge button. I said that in the podcast. <clears throat> I just got on with my day. And yeah. it's been a revelation for me. I don't even know what day I'm on. <laughs> I don't know what day <laughs> I'm on. That's mad. Because I, but I know, I understand in the early days, it was like, okay, I, I'm proud of 10. I'm proud yeah. of 50. I'm proud of 35. Do you know what I mean? And then when I got to 100, it was like, yeah. This is me. I think the magic hundred is wonderful. I think when you hit that hundred, you think, and I said this to Karini, I said, said, it's like a nugget. It's like a a stone in your pocket. One of these precious stones in your pocket. You're not giving it up. This is my hundred and I am keeping this and I am not giving it up. It's such a milestone, 100 days. 
Yeah, I think so. Would you say that you are now, before we wrap this up, because we are going to wrap it up because you very kindly took time out, would you say you're starting to get comfortable in your own skin now? I have, honestly, each, the only thing that's beaten me is, I'm still quite moody, you know, you can see it on that, you can see it whenever I post, it's, it's like night and day, you know with me if I'm, you know what sort of mood I'm in. If I'm in a playful mood, I like you, whenever you're posting a picture, <laughs> that's whenever you know you're on, you're on your egg. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You get purple hair, that's... that's <laughs> yeah, it's not so purple anymore. It's faded. Yeah. So, I just do it for fun and to, well, to make, make her happy. That, that's what I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn, like, if I'm in a bad mood, why, why go on and start posting? Because people then start tech, you know, I don't want people to take things personally. Sometimes whenever I go on, I post a song and people look into the lyrics. I'm a big lyric person and every song I listen to now has alcohol screaming from it. You know, it's like, that's why I'm playing Metallica one day and Justin Bieber and everybody's like, what is he listening to? And I put the country and western in there. And yes, I saw. I'm just, you know, and I just, sometimes I, 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 if I drive to work, I hear a song and I go, wow, I, like I need to put that song up. You know, and I and I think I think it's really cool, but um, I think going forward for me, um, what could I learn? Um, I just I, I'm so thankful that I don't have to wake up and have the stress and the anxiety that I used to have. I my anxiety was so bad that I felt as if somebody was like literally stabbing me in the stomach, and I had that pain for so long that I was just like I can't I can't I can't laugh like this. So now whenever I wake up. I don't have, like, okay, I'm getting a bit older and um, my joints are out of whack. <laughs> Wait till you get to my age. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So, um, um, no, but it's all good. But um, we say the, the, the one thing we enjoy is waking up now. Yeah. You just, never used to. It's just waking up. Uh, I just got up now and it's a joy. My wife and kids would tell you I'm a pain in the ass because I just got up and put music on and sing and dance around the kitchen. And my wife and one of my twin boys, they do not have any. They're not morning, not morning people. people. No, no. So I annoy the life out of I'm saying. And whenever, um, but my daughter's sort of jumping on my bandwagon, so she likes winding them up. So, but then it gets the nighttime, and that's never my mood swing changes a little bit. Like, so. But isn't it, isn't it, isn't there so much joy in having this fun? Yes, you needle each other. This is a, this is, this is a happy house. Is that not the joy of all of this? It's a happy house. It's not, every day is not wonderful, wonderful, because every house has its issues and someone's having a bad day, whatever. But deep down, this is a, now you have a happy house. Yeah. It's the, the, the worst thing for me now is knowing that I'm in a good place, but it's just, we want to go out there. We want to enjoy the world. We want to go to Florida. We've booked Donegal. It's only a couple hours down the road. That's as far as we can go. Um, we've planned to go to London for my wife's 40th birthday uh, in October. And like, it's just plan, plan, plan. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, just do it. You, you live once. We've said, you only. I know this is a cliche, you only live once. And we have wasted so many years. And I don't know about you, but I've not, I've got no intention of wasting anymore because I reached that deep, dark place and I don't know what 
kicked my ass that day, but something kicked my ass and I went, no, fuck it. And I said, fuck it. And I'm going to live. And you are doing exactly the same thing. You said, fuck it. Don't need it no more. I'm going to live. And you are such a joy to talk to. And I know we haven't had long. So I am going to wrap this up so that we can post it. But I would like to visit with you again, if that's at all feasible. That's an absolute pleasure of mine. Yes, no problem. I would like to have a fun chat with you. Not as... (laughs) (laughs) I would like to have a laugh with you. So all I can say is thank you for giving me this time. It's so much of a pleasure. Yes, we're on the app. Yes, we have bad days. Bad days doesn't mean we're going to drink. Yeah. We've got no intention. So thank you so much for this. And and I will see you again on the app and I will catch you again. Thanks very much. Thank you, darling. Take care. Uh, Take care. bye. Bye.